get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This one is over the glove of Albies. O'Neal coming home, and the tag is applied, and he is out. Ronald Acuna, a great throw on a hop. That's not our style of play as far as the, the effort rounding the bag there. It's unacceptable. I score that round, of course. You know, um, not out there to dog it at all. Um, you know, those are pretty pretty strong words from him, so that's um, good to know. line is that's not his judgment. That's why we have a coach standing over there. Your effort's uh, 100% until you're told not to. All right, we've got a kerfuffle here in St. Louis alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Tyler O'Neill, Ollie Marmel, those are the voices that you heard right there. If you missed it last night, here's the situation set up for you. It's the bottom of the seventh inning. The Cardinals are down by three runs. There are two on and two outs. You've got Brendan Donovan stepping up to the plate. Tyler O'Neill's at second. Jordan Walker is on first. Donovan singles to right. And right field, of course, is the one and only Ronald Acuna Jr. Now, context, this is pretty important here. According to Baseball Savant, there is not a single outfielder in all of baseball last year that had a stronger arm than Ronald Acuna Jr. He was in the 100th percentile in arm strength. So you got a howitzer in right field, basically. Donovan singles to right. If O'Neill stops at third, you got the bases loaded, two outs. They just brought in a lefty to the game to face Brendan Donovan. So you've turned your lineup over. You've got Tommy Edmond coming up to the plate, top of the order coming up with Carlson next, and then Goldie potentially. You're in a really good spot there with the bases loaded, down by three, two outs, bottom of the seventh inning. He doesn't stop at third. Pop Warner sends him. It's an aggressive send, to say the least, but he sends him. Ollie Marmel's judgment in that moment is that Tyler O'Neill was dogging it around third. I got to be honest with you. Let's start here. Your first reaction, gut reaction when you saw the moment live. What did you think happened at third base, Alex? I, I thought it was on the third base coach. I was like, why is he sending him there? And then a second thought was, did he run through a stop sign? And Tyler O'Neill was just going in no way, shape or form. Now, mind you, I was watching it on my cell phone at the Blues game, so I didn't have the full context. But in no way, shape or form, the first thing I thought of was, man, Tyler O'Neill was dogging it around third base. Interesting, because mine was the opposite. Mine was... Was he jogging? What happened? See, How my- was he so slow around third? That was my, and again, this was gut reaction in the moment. You have no added context of the replay. That was mine. Mine was, what the belief was Pop Warner doing and sending him? <laughs> but then also when I saw the camera angle where they shifted towards O'Neal, 
is O'Neal hurt? Because I know he's faster than what I saw in that camera. That angle. was the the and, overhead view for me. Yeah, and I thought to myself, oh no, is that a hamstring issue? Because it, in the first on the first replay too, you see he takes off with a pretty good jump at yep. second, but then when he rounds third, he does go into a jog. So my initial reaction was. Is he hurt? That looks like something that could be a hamstring issue. And then he went back out to center field and went, oh, that that has to be a lack of hustle then. So that is gut reaction in the moment right after we had seen the play initially. Then after the game, there is added context of the home plate view on the play. This was sent out by uh, the pre and post game guy for the Cardinals. I'm blanking on his name. I apologize. Yeah, Matt Pauley. When I saw that and it's like the overhead shot of everything. I was like, oh, maybe he was busting it. And then I saw the Braves angle of it, which got a much better angle than the Cardinals did. No disrespect to Valley Valley Sports Midwest. It was just a better angle for this specific play at the plate and what we're talking about here. I don't think Tyler O'Neill was running at full speed. Now, there's a million different reasons why that could and potentially should be the case in that spot. But my reaction when I saw him rounding third Oh, that's nowhere near 100% for Tyler O'Neill. There's a lot of guys on the team that I would see them running at that exact same pace, and I'd say, all right, that dude is busting his butt to get to home base or home plate. Yeah, like uh, Paul Goldschmidt out of the dugout when there was a fight last year. Sure. He was busting If Nolan Arenado was running at that exact same speed, I'd be, man, Arenado's really busting it. No one needs a day off. Or Contreras running at that speed. I'd be like, wow, all right, we've got a little something here. For Tyler O'Neill, it's different. He is judged by a different sprint speed because he's been in the top five percentile in all of baseball and sprint speed every year of his career so far. So after the game, you get the Ollie uh, Marmel comments. And then, as we know how this works, the, the media goes from talking to the manager to the locker room to talk to Tyler O'Neill. Here's what Tyler O'Neill said about his conversations after the game with Ollie Marmel. He was pretty blunt about it. He didn't think I gave the best effort. Um, um, you know, I'm out here every day grinding my grinding my ass off, um, you know, giving it my all and uh, trying to stay on the field for 160 games out here. So, you know, like I said, I just got to get a better jump next time. And, and I guess, you know, just get around, get around the base a little quicker and, um, you know, be in there next time. Whoa, whoa. Did he say he's trying to be out here for 160 games? Mm-hmm. Is he just going to dog it on those last two? You're not playing in 162 this season? Yeah, he's cool with playing What the hell, Tyler O'Neill? 160's the goal. Dogging it around third, dogging it in 160 games. So, as I mentioned, there's a million different reasons as to why he could have been taking it a little easier around third. I think one of them is what he mentioned there about trying to stay healthy. He focused on that all offseason. Here's what he had to say in important context on his running form, and maybe he was focusing too much on that. You know, I've been working a lot on different run form mechanics and stuff here in St. Louis. Um, and that puts me in a better position for longevity. So, um, you know, maybe there is a little um, too much thought process in the in the play for me rather than just a go get them. You know, just finding that happy medium and uh, learning learning from the experience for sure. Alex, my my takeaway from the play was this. This is my guess as to what happened. I think there's two, like, combating beliefs on what took place there. I think Tyler O'Neill was surprised that he got sent home. And I do think he is trying to find out what is the proper urgency with which to play this year in order to keep himself healthy. I think he's not dogging it, but I think he's trying to play at a good speed without overexerting himself. And I think Ollie's perspective on that is, man, that's not 100%. 
we give 100% here and you didn't do it. Now, do I disagree with the send? I do. You've got Ronald Acuna Jr. in right field. You've got the potential for a really good matchup for your team with the bases loaded, a lefty on the mound, Tommy Edmond coming up to the plate. That's a good spot for your team. Down by three with the potential to drive in some runs when you're only down by a few runs there. I think you should have kept him there. I don't think, I think you should have given him the stop sign, did not send him. But when you're O'Neill and you get the send, you got to run, man. And so I... I think a lot of people are trying to make this an or conversation. Either Ollie Marmol is in the wrong or Tyler O'Neill is in the wrong. Or Pop Warner, frankly, not even so much Ollie. Let's bring a pop here for a minute. I think this can be an and conversation. I think Tyler O'Neill was not busting at 100%. And I'm not sure I would have sent him in that spot. In fact, I would not have sent him in that spot. So I think both things can be true simultaneously. But the response to this is maybe what's going to be most interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's the bigger takeaway from all of this. I mean, if if Ali just said, you know, it, it didn't work out and moved on, this wouldn't be as much of a problem, but it's the back and forth between Ali and Tyler O'Neill uh, after the game. The thing with it, too, is if Tyler O'Neill, if that's where his mindset is, if they're working on different things and you're trying to make sure that you're not going to injure yourself going at full speed, then even if you're getting the go sign, hold up there because, look, I know Ronald Acuna as an arm, and I know that I'm still working out some kinks and how I'm going about this. Maybe me full speed going to home plate to try and beat out one of the best throwers in right field isn't the best idea right now, despite because that might be an easier thing to explain after the game of, hey, why didn't you go when Pop Warner was sending you there? Well, I'm trying to work on a certain things. Didn't want to put our team in a bad spot. That's a different outcome there. But you're right. This doesn't have to be a, oh, it's either Ollie or Tyler O'Neill, And that's what people go to when you get this back and forth. Um, but now that the last night is carried over into today and then potentially even further, that's where more and more problems start to arise. And I mean, frankly, this is a carryover from last year with Tyler O'Neill. Did I get it right? Yeah, good job, man. Thanks. You did a great job there, Alex. I thought you broke the, the play down, the big picture considerations, right. as there, well as anybody possibly there could. felt like some sarcasm there. So I'm going to add some context to this because it was impossible to do our jobs this morning without seeing the news that Tyler O'Neill is not in the lineup today. I'm not going to be a fraud and pretend as if we haven't seen that yet. We have. Tyler O'Neill not in the lineup today. That matters. I think that is a hangover effect from what we saw last night. In fact, Alex, if I'm going to read between the lines on the comments that have been made this morning from both Tyler O'Neill and Ollie Marmel, I'm guessing there was a conversation that was had between the two this morning. Well, now that you said that, Lynn Worthy of the Post-Dispatch just tweeted out that O'Neill said that today was a scheduled day off, and that was discussed with him a couple of days ago. Oh. That's BS. Oh, there, there's he? no chance. Beep, 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 beep. The- Maybe that is the case, but there was also this from Ollie Marmel earlier today. Are you going to one-up my quote with another quote? No, that is really interesting that Tyler O'Neill would say that. <laughs> I think O'Neal saying bleep all of this. Um, I'm telling you, Tyler O'Neill showed up today like Fat Thor from the Avengers Endgame. White t-shirt, pizza, beer, sunglasses. Tyler or uh, Ollie Marmel was asked earlier today if... Tyler O'Neill is going to be in the lineup on Friday. <laughs> I bet that's not a scheduled day off. <laughs> oh, you don't think they're thinking that far no, in advance? I, no. And Ollie Marmo basically said, hey, listen, I'm not telling you that's a bad question. It's not. It's a fair question, Brandon. But I'm not answering that right now. 
which is basically a, yeah, we're not sure. We'll see what this looks like over the next few days. We'll see where we're at with Tyler by then. So even if this was, and I'm not calling Tyler O'Neill a liar, maybe it was a, a scheduled day off. Day game after a night game. He's a guy that's dealt with some injuries in the past. If you're getting a day game after a night game scheduled day off, I'm guessing you weren't going to play 160 games regardless, but that's uh, either here nor there. Playing 160, that's it. Also, I, I, I would think if anybody's going to say it was a scheduled day off, it would be Marmol because yeah. he typically does that. Yeah, he, he kind of allows you to get the it was a scheduled day off in tyler o'neill's mind sure. <laughs> yeah. so after last that's night. why he was dogging that <laughs> again my guess is there was a conversation between the two this morning ollie said hey listen we both said our piece last night i don't think you gave 100 percent on that play where are we at and i'm guessing tyler o'neill didn't respond particularly well to it based on especially the comments that he said this morning which is I think that should have been handled in-house. I think it could have been taken care of a different way, but neither here nor there. Look, he's just trying to have six sellies with the boys, guys. You hit the nail on the head. I, I don't think Tyler O'Neill and the Cardinals are seeing eye to eye on this. For as much as we talk about, by the way, Jack Flaherty's <clears throat> relationship with the Cardinals, I'm not sure there's a player on the roster right now that has a more frayed relationship with the Cardinals than Tyler O'Neill. Think back to the playoffs last season, guys. The Cardinals said all along, hey, we think he's close. We think he's close. We think he's close. The playoff roster comes out, and guess where Tyler O'Neill is? They say, bleep this. You're going down to the Arizona Fall League. Don't even be around the team. I I didn't even know that was allowed. I didn't know you could send a major league player down to the Arizona Fall League for a rehab stint. Keep, Keep an eye on this. That's all I'm saying. All right, that's the backdrop for the lineup game today. Brendan Donovan back in his leadoff spot, in your opinion, Alex? So going up against a righty. Yeah, I was going to say it's a righty. So this seems like a lefty heavy lineup. See, I'd say Donovan. I don't know where he's playing, though. That's something I want to keep in the back of my mind. I I would guess second, but I'm not going to say I would say second. Uh, Alec Burleson back in the two hole. (laughs) Why are you saying Carlson didn't have a good night in the two hole? No, a right handed pitcher. It's been the spot the way that they've gone about it so far. Yeah, probably. Uh, Goldie. Yeah. Arnado. Arnado. Gorman? Yeah. Day game after a night game. Guessing Contreras getting the day yeah, off. I was thinking Contreras is going to be out of the lineup. All right. Now is where it gets interesting. Is this Carlson? Since we know that O'Neal's not playing? Maybe. Because that was that was the five-hole hitter, right? That we just did with Gorman? Yeah. But could be Walker. My, my guess is you go Walker here. Okay. We'll go Walker. No, no, no. Mm. Carlson? That's what I think. Because, I mean, there's no other outfielders, right? Newpar's still injured. Mm. Yeah. Well, they've got Yepes if you want to go that route. He doesn't really have splits. Yeah, I'm going to say Carlson. Okay. So now's where it really gets tough. This has to be Walker, right? Yeah, because if Kisner's nice. playing, Kisner's got to be hitting eight or nine. Yeah. So Walker. Is it mod- Is that Modder? No. Why? Whoa, you don't have to show Modder like that. He's not shortstop. Why not? No, <laughs> Brennan Donovan's playing oh, shortstop. That's possible. Uh, yeah, I, go, I would say, I I would say Edmund here. here. All right, and then, and then you got Kisner. You want to run it through? 
All right, here's your starting lineup today. Again, the Atlanta Braves. Brendan Donovan will lead things off at second. Alec Burleson in left. Paul Goldschmidt at first. Nolan Arnato at third. Nolan Gorman, the DH batting fifth. Dylan Carlson, sixth in center field. Jordan Walker, seventh in right. Tommy Edmond, eighth at shortstop. And batting ninth, Andrew Kisner. And probably not batting at all today, Tyler O'Neill. Oh, come on, man. No, it was a scheduled day off. Sure. <laughs> Taylor Motter, first right-handed bat off the bench. Probably. Uh, I guess maybe Contreras, yeah, but well, I don't know. He's, yeah, he's Contreras. Yeah. Contreras is dogging it to first, right? Then O'Neal. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line uh, to get involved in the show. I want to carry this over to the next segment. A lot of you guys are, uh, are having some thoughts on this. So we'll get to some of those on the other side. One of the biggest things that we're getting, guys, is... Hey, this happened with Harrison Bader last year, and we all saw how that ended up with him being traded for a left-handed starter. I think there is some very clear differences between what's taking place right now between Ollie, Tyler O'Neill, and that that whole brouhaha, and what happened last year with Harrison Bader's situation. We'll discuss the differences between those two coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This one is over the glove of Albies. O'Neal coming home, and the tag is applied, and he is out. Ronald Acuna, a great throw on a hop. That's not our style of play as far as the the effort rounding the bag there. It's unacceptable. We're trying to score that round, of course. You know, um, not out there to dog it at all. Um, you know, those are pretty pretty strong words from him. So that's um, good. The line is that's not his judgment. That's all we have a coach standing over there. Your efforts, uh, 100% until you're told not to. That audio courtesy of the Braves TV network. And then obviously Bally sports Midwest with Tyler O'Neill and Ollie Marmol's comments after the game last night, Alex, the war of words seems to be continuing this morning between Ollie and Tyler O'Neill. If you're on Twitter for any amount of time today, you've seen what the two have said. Uh, Tyler O'Neill said this quote, these conversations definitely could have been had in house and not gotten out in the loose. Like they have, should they have been handled a little differently, in my opinion? Yeah, but you know, who's to say? <laughs> I feel like he just did. Um, I also love Katie Wu's tweet that just happened. She said, some non-hustle-related updates, by the way. <laughs> uh, Tyler, or Ollie Marmol said, there's a standard and a tier. You meet it, you play. You don't meet it, you don't play. Doesn't sound like a scheduled day off to me. God. But well, scheduled. maybe they scheduled him and they thought he was going to have hustle. And then they said, well, this, this ties into you not playing now, T-O-N. So that's that's some of the updates on the Tyler O'Neill situation. Alex, I don't think this is about one play. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Now, I've got an, an analogy, Alex. I want to say this up front. Don't agree too strongly with what I'm about to it say. sounds like I'm going to get really angry with you. T-Bone, get that dump button ready. Now, I want to say out front, I love my wife to death. She's my best friend in the world. Wow, I did not. Dude, she is like six months pregnant, seven months pregnant. She is the, the, the greatest up. person that I have ever met and the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. She makes me a better person every day. Yeah. However. Oh, my God. This is really happening. Do I have to save him? Dude, back down. Alex, I think that you will probably agree. There are times 
or you get into an argument with your significant other, or the argument is not actually about what you're arguing about. Like, hey, why didn't you bring milk home today? I, I didn't know we needed milk. It ain't about the milk. It's about something that happened two weeks ago. About your stupid face and your voice. (laughs) There was something that happened two weeks ago that has been on her mind since that moment that is still bothering her. And when you didn't bring the milk home that she thought that you should have known that you were supposed to get, it set her off. Okay, I agree 100% with this. Careful, careful. I'll I'm be the one that's single. That, that, uh, no, I'm only agreeing with this because this is this is me. I forget this stuff a lot. <laughs> so the reason why I bring that up in, in regards to this situation, I'm not saying that Ollie's been worried about Tyler O'Neill's effort. I think I think Tyler O'Neill in general gives great effort. And I'm not just like blowing smoke up, of his, up his butt. I, I really do believe in general Tyler O'Neill is a guy that Typically gives really good effort. So you think he forgot the milk? I think there's other stuff that is frustrating to this coaching staff about Tyler O'Neill. Like what? What does he do? He plays every game. He doesn't. Oh, okay. I, I think there are times in the past, reading between the lines, where the coaching staff feels like Tyler O'Neill could and should maybe play through stuff, and O'Neill thinks he can't. And I'm not telling you that he should or that he needs to, but I'm telling you I think there's some friction there between the two sides of things. And I think when you have a situation on a play, which O'Neal explains by saying, hey, I'm trying to stay healthy, and the coaching staff is saying, but you're never healthy. Whether you're trying to like peel back on this or not, you don't stay healthy. So at least give 100% when you're on the field out there. Otherwise, are we going to get a 70% version of Tyler O'Neal, whether you're on the field or off? So we get 70% or nothing? Well, that's not the player that we signed up for you to be this year, where you're playing in center field, getting even more opportunities, where your legs are going to be more fried throughout the season. I think there is far more to this conversation than what is actually being had publicly right now. I mean, I got to be honest, the more that we're talking about this, and it's not the exact same thing because one had, in their eyes, a botched problem with the injury that took place, but isn't this starting to sound more and more kind of like a Vladdy Tarasenko and Blues situation there where they felt Vladdy was healthy enough to play and Vladdy said, I'm not healthy. And then they start talking about how he's not playing the way that he needs to. And Vladdy gets upset about it. I mean, the more and more these happen, the more and more you're starting to think, boy, you got one side that feels like, look, you're 100 percent now. So we expect 100 percent effort and we expect you to play the way that you're supposed to play. The other player says, yeah, but I'm trying to make sure I don't get healthy or I'm or I'm, I don't get injured or I'm making sure that even if I'm not 100 percent, I'm still out there doing what I can. You've got two sides that just don't agree with how they're going about business right now. And that. That is not a sustainable thing if you've got one player who views it one way and a a manager who who views it another way. And again, this isn't, to your point, something that just popped up last night because he didn't run hard from third base to home. I think that's something that's being lost, by the way. I, I think that a lot of people are making it about the play. It is about a bigger picture issue between the two sides, and, and I think you captured that well. And let's remember, Ali, it's not like he just joined the team last season as the manager. He's been the bench coach for the Cardinals, so he's seen Tyler O'Neill and his longevity with this Cardinals team. 
this feels more and more like something that has just been kind of dragging on. And it's not like Ali is a, a guy that says, oh, you screw up once, we're done. We're not talking. Ali is like a guy that's like, look, I'm giving you the opportunity to fix this and move forward. But then it's handled the improper way, and then it just starts to ignite fireworks. And that feels like where we're at right now. Yeah, this has definitely been building for, I'd say, a whole year now. I mean, you look back, I remember we were at the ballpark, BK, um, when O'Neill was out of the lineup due to something was sore, whether it was a back or hamstring. And Ali Marmol made a comment to where it was, uh, hey, you know, guys like Arnado don't take days off from their backs where they play through it. And it was like, he okay. He literally just said that today. <laughs> yeah, like, like it's the same comment. It's the same comment from last year where it's like, hey, these guys don't take days off when they're sore. And, and I think that's where the perspective is different is to BK's point where O'Neill feels like he's hurt while the Cardinals say you're just sore. And, and I think that's where you're starting to see this bubble over. And to your point on, hey, you're a guy that when you're giving a 100%, you're in the top five in sprint speed. So there's no reason that you shouldn't make that play closer at home. And, and it's just bubbled over to where the Cardinals say, well, why are you concerned about your health? You're not giving us 100% effort. We t- we took strides in the offseason to make sure you do stay healthy this season. That's that's what our whole offseason plan was. And now you're not even going out there and giving 100%. That wasn't part of the offseason program. The offseason program was training to make sure you stay healthy, not give less effort. They just showed the highlight of it. And you know where it looked like he was dogging it? was right when he got off of second base. Like, when he went off of second base, it was a slow jog from second, and then he kicked up the speed. Listen, man, they, they're they showing this highlight right now. That is not Tyler no. O'Neill running at 100%. No. It's just not. You you can't convince me that it is. And so, like, whether that's effort, whether that's his new running style, wh- whatever it is, if that's his 100%, yeah. then it's not good enough. What we saw last night is not the version of Tyler O'Neill that we were sold in the offseason. By him, by the team, by anybody. That is Hell, that is not the version of Tyler O'Neill we have seen ever. Uh, so they, they're putting up the numbers right now. He was at 28 feet per second on his sprint speed, um, and it was a 92-mile-per-hour throw to home from Ronald Acuna Jr. His average arm strength last year was 98 miles per hour. It was a below-average throw by Ronald Acuna standards, and 28 feet per spe- per second is well below Tyler O'Neill's standards. He was at 30 feet per second average, average sprint speed over the last four seasons. Yeah, he was below average. That that that's not Tyler O'Neill. Yeah. And so whether you think that is him dogging it, him not giving full effort, we now have the metrics to show why is your speed not measuring what it was the past few seasons. Why is that? And on the season, I looked this up earlier today, his sprint speed overall is down significantly this year. Why is that? Is that him conserving himself? And if so, what does that mean for the Cardinals? It means he's a different kind of player this year. It means he's not beating out as many infield singles. It means he's not getting to home from second on a single to right field. Like That stuff adds up over time, man. And so if you're Ollie Marmel, again, this comes back to it's not about just one play. And Tanner, I thought you made a really interesting point a minute ago. I, I just threw some audio into our folder for today. Uh, Ali Marmol on why uh, Nolan Arenado is an all-star. I remember asking Ali about this last year. It was right after it had been announced that Nolan Arenado was going to be representing the Cardinals once again in the all-star game. And I asked him, I said, hey, We've seen Nolan Arenado make a bunch of these. Basically, every full year uh, of his career, he's been an all-star. What is it about him that allows that to be possible? I think Ollie Marmel's response to this and the backdrop of what we've seen over the last 14 hours here in St. Louis 
it speaks to what Ollie respects about Nolan Arenado as a player and why this kind of thing bothers him so much with Tyler O'Neill. Even when things weren't going his way, uh, he stayed with it. I mean, I just announced it to the club. This is a guy that regardless if his body hurts, feels like crap, it doesn't matter, he's uh, he's going to take the field. And that's, that. I mean, for me, that's the difference between an all-star and someone that just, I'm going to play when I feel good. Anybody can play when they feel good. Um, it's when you don't feel good, when your lower back's on fire and you can barely get out of bed, but you find a way to still play third every day. Yeah, tip my cap to that. Yeah, that... That's who Ollie is, man. That felt like, like it was you directing You can take it people. or leave it. That is last June that he said that. I, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say, but that's who Ollie is as a manager. And if people don't like that, that's that's fine. You you can dislike how he has handled this situation. I think there are fair reasons to feel that way. I don't necessarily dislike it. I think he is open and honest, and he is always this way. If it was out of character, I would have a problem with it. But this is who he is. And so as a player, you know how Ollie's going to handle these types of situations. We've seen it now for more than a year as to what kind of a manager he's going to be. And if it rubbed Tyler O'Neill the wrong way, cool. There's some other stuff I think that needs to be talked about between these two sides. There's some other things that are clearly underlying issues. This is a symptom, not the root cause. That That's how I would describe what's taken place over the last day or so. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into questions and answers. But Alex, I do want to talk a bit about the Blues from last night because Justin Falk played another excellent game for the Blues. He's been performing like a legit number one defenseman for them for the last 15 games or so now. We'll talk about what that means for them next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. To get it loose in front, there's the shot from Falk. Look for the stick of Sod. They couldn't connect. And it's right back to Blay into the slot. Falk shoots. He scores! Justin Falk! That was what it sounded like as Justin Falk scored a goal again last night. Finishes with two points in the game. That audio courtesy of the Blues Radio Network right here on 101 ESPN last night. Alex, in his last 11 games, Justin Falk has 12 points. That includes three goals. And maybe most importantly, Justin Falk is a plus 12 in those uh, those 11 games. He's averaging more than 23 minutes per game in that stretch. It is not a coincidence that the Blues have played extremely well in those 12 games. They have only lost two games in regulation. Now, important context, they have not played the best opponents in their last 11 games. It's been Washington, Winnipeg, Detroit for a couple, Anaheim, Vancouver, Chicago. I'm basically listing off the teams that are picking in front of the Blues in the NHL draft for the most part this year. I don't really care. I wanted to see this kind of version of Justin Falk down the stretch because they need him to be a significant part of the core, not just for the rest of this season, but for years to come. 
Alex, if they can get this version of Falk next year, what does it do for them when it comes to building that defensive core? It puts you back into the conversations of contenders in the postseason. I mean, the hard part with all of this and the frustrating part is like, where has this been all season long? Because these last 11 games, Justin Falk has played like he played all of last season. That's why he got Norris Trophy votes. And the 11 games that you're talking about, he's a plus 12, which is best among any defenseman in the National Hockey League. So Justin Falk, on top of that, he's averaging about 23 minutes and 19 seconds, which is top 20. So, yeah, he's playing like a number one defenseman. And what it does is it solidifies... It solidifies your top four in terms of what your right side looks like if you're able to accomplish going out there and moving guys around to try and fix the defensive issues. Because if Falk is your number one, Colton Pareko would be a great number two pairing guy for the right side, and you're set up well there. Then it comes down to how does your left side play out, but... The thing with Justin Falk is the reason he's looking this good is because he's getting involved on the offensive side. We had Dave Reed on yesterday, Stanley Cup champion, who said right now the NHL is all about puck possession. And if you look at Corsi rating teams, the Blues are in the bottom five of the NHL. But if you isolate it to the last 10 games, they're one of the top 10 best teams in terms of Corsi rating in the NHL. And that's because of guys like Justin Falk. Tory Krug has stepped his game up over these last few games. You've got Colton Pareko getting involved in the rush. The frustrating part with all of this is the defense is able to do this. It's just not over a sustained period of time. Yeah, and it's also able to do it specifically against the lesser teams. Yeah. And if you're able to get this kind of play, if you were able to get this kind of play from them, throughout the course of the season, we're not talking about being upset that the Blues are winning right now. Mm -hmm. Like, we're we're thrilled that they're winning because they would have potentially been in a spot to get back into this race, man. It's crazy to say, if you don't have those sustained losing stretches, Mm -hmm. those crazy losing streaks... We're probably talking about the Blues competing with Winnipeg right now for a potential playoff spot in the Western Conference. Nashville's one point out right now. Like, Nashville is... They actively tried to lose after the deadline. They're winning without Duchesne, Johansson, and Forsberg, and Roman Yossi in their lineup. And they're, they're competing right now. The other thing about those sustained losing streaks, BK, if you go back to the beginning of the season, I do believe now that this team was in a little bit still of an identity crisis. They were still trying to be that defensive-minded team... Now they're not trying to do that. Like, I think they've, I think, I don't want to say they've embraced the fact that they're going to be bad defensively because they're still trying to fix it. We had Mike Van Ryan on postgame last night who talked about that. But they they recognize that defensively there's going to be some errors, but offensively if we can contain the puck and just sustain offensive zone time, we're going to be a tough team to beat. That's what those seven, eight game losing streaks in the early portion of the season was. They were like, okay, well, we're not an offensive team. We're not a defensive team. Who the hell are we? And now looking at it, I wonder if that trade deadline of trading some of those pieces away acknowledged to this roster, like we're going in a different direction and now they're buying into it. Yeah, I, I think it could have been as simple as them just saying like, hey, we know what we are and we know, we know what we're not. We are not a defensive minded team that's going to play with goal suppression. And I think this at times drives Craig Berube insane. Like I, I don't blame him for it because it is a super frustrating and... It's a high-variant style of play, but it works. Like when, when you have a team that can play this way and you do so consistently, right now, do you guys know where the Blues rank? This is dating back to, uh, hey, you, you guys remember that Arizona game where uh, 
Yeah, everything didn't go well. I was going to say, is that when it all blew up? Yeah, it, they lost 6-2 to two on the road at Arizona. and be nice if they can do that now against some of these teams. Craig Berube was like, hey, our, our best players don't play hard. Or how about the Vancouver Canucks game when Alexi Torpchenko came out and said, uh, this isn't roller hockey, this isn't beer league, guys. Yeah, uh, that, that, was, that was interesting. Um, since then, that was on March 7th, the Blues are second in the NHL in goals per game. They're averaging more than four goals per game in this stretch. Now, they're giving up three and a half, which is also right up near the top of the league. It's like 20th in the NHL. You can live that way, though. I mean, that's what Edmonton does. That's how they win is they're number one in the league in this stretch, averaging four and a half goals per game, and they're giving up about three. If you're scoring four regularly, hey, man, giving up three is fine. You can, you can win that way regularly. I think this is the style that they're going to have to play for the foreseeable future. And one guy that allows that to happen, Alex, is not just, just Justin Falk. Jake Neighbors is starting to earn himself a little bit of a reputation. And it's one that if you're going up against him, you hate. But when that dude is on your team, that hit that he had, I don't remember who it was on, but that p- sent a guy into the Blues yeah, it was bench. Kate's at the end of the game. Who, buddy? That's the kind of thing that this team, I think Blues fans have been waiting for, for the last couple of seasons. He's a pest. And like, I'm not saying that as an insult to him. I'm saying that as a compliment because a lot of teams have to have those guys. And the thing about Jake Neighbors is they're not dirty hits. They're not dirty plays. He's, he's making clean hits on the ice and he's frustrating the opposition. The first hit that he had last night, it was on a guy who was making his NHL debut. Clean hit along the boards. And what happened afterwards was players were coming in to step up for their teammate, and they took a penalty because they were getting involved with Jake Neighbors. And Neighbors was skating away like, guys, clean hit. I don't know what you're getting frustrated about. The points would have to get to this level with Jake Neighbors, but Jake Neighbors is starting to play the way that Brad Marchand plays for the Boston Bruins. Now, he's not licking guys post-whistle, but what he's doing is he's frustrating the opposition. Frankly, this is what David Perron did for the longest time with the Blues. It's what Pat Maroon did that year he was with the Blues when they won the Cup. Jake Neighbors is playing like a guy that's going to get underneath the skin of the opposition to where they're either going to take penalties or they're going to focus more on retaliation against him and less on the actual play. And that's a good thing for the Blues. They don't have those guys. It provides energy. It provides a spark. It provides something that the bench can get excited about. Because at times this season, it's been real dry. In the good times and the bad times, it's been just real mediocre. Jake Neighbors can flip that. And you're talking about a guy in his first year in the NHL. The more he plays, the more confidence he gets in the games. He's going to be a pest to play against, and if the points can back it up, you're talking about somebody who could be playing some impactful 17, 18 minutes a night. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Also, you guys have been uh, super active on the Tyler O'Neill situation. We'll get back into that coming up at 12 o'clock. I want to hear from you on the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Leave us a mic drop. Who do you blame? What was your reaction to what took place last night, the comments from Ollie Marmel and Tyler O'Neill, and as a secondary point on that, what we've heard from both of them this morning. How, how do you react to that as a Cardinals fan? How do you see this thing playing out? You can leave us a mic drop uh, on the 101 ESPN app. The mic drop feature super easy to use. Just record that in. We'll get to those coming up at 12 o'clock. But next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line from the 618. Alex, am I crazy for looking at the NFL draft and saying, I don't view any of these quarterbacks as legitimate franchise changing QBs? I don't think you're crazy because I, I think over the last few years, every time a quarterback has been towards the top of the draft, it's hard to sit there and say like, oh yeah, he's going to change the franchise for us. I, I mean, the last guy to do that, Trevor Lawrence, but did a lot of people have faith that that was going to happen? Oh yeah. He was, um, I mean, the the biggest draft prospect at quarterback since Andrew Luck probably. So, I mean, none of these guys are at the same ilk of Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion. So no, I don't think you're crazy with that. I think the one for me that would have the most intrigue of doing that is still CJ Stroud. Although some people with their mock drafts think uh, he's the safe pick these days. Yeah. I, I don't think you're crazy for thinking that because there is no clear consensus. Number one pick. Some people think it's Stroud. Some people think it's Bryce young. Now, most mock drafts do have CJ Stroud, but that's based on reporting now that they're hearing that that's what the Panthers are going to do. So no, I, I don't think you're crazy. It, it's not like in years past where it was, hey, Andrew Luck's going number one overall, or Trevor Lawrence is going number one overall, or heck, even so-and-so is going number two overall. There's a lot of questions of what the Texans are going to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't think you're crazy. I, I don't think there's a guy in this draft that's franchise-altering that is, hey, you've got to take him at number one overall. I don't... So, guys, I'm falling hard for Anthony Richardson. Oh, jeez. Here's my question for you. If I told you today... Anthony Richardson, the, for those that aren't familiar with his work, he's a Florida quarterback. He's only started for a season. He was up and down in terms of the overall results, but he's the most athletic quarterback, not opinion it, by the metrics, most athletic quarterback ever at the NFL Combine. If I told you today, he's going to be what Justin Fields was last year, and he doesn't ever get a whole lot better than what Justin Fields was last year. Where do you take that guy? So he's an unbelievable runner and a bit erratic as a thrower. But if you surround him with the right talent, maybe he could get better or he looks better as a result. of. I that. mean, I would take him as the third quarterback in the draft. I would take him above Will Levis. It just depends on would you what I'm really wondering is like, do you take that guy? Number one, if I told you today, he's what Justin Fields was last year because the Bears just decided that's better than what is available in this year's draft. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Because I think that might be who he is. I still think that there's a chance. And again, you're you're playing the, the what if game. I, I still think there's a chance that both the guys, Bryce Young and, and CJ Stroud, have a better career than Justin Fields last year. And that's it. No, that's fair. So I would say I would still take one of those two. But if those two are gone, if they go one, two, if I'm the Colts, I'm more than likely going to take that because... I need a quarterback that could be sustained over a few years and not have to play this this Russian roulette of quarterbacks. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Uh, guys, what is the process like of getting on a recurring guest for the show? Uh, I will start out with this. It depends. Like, 
We have the Blues contract. So Chris Kerber, Joey Vitale, they are a part of that. They are a part of our station. They are a part of our family, and we have them on every week as a result of that. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford, for as long as I have been a part of the station, has also been a part of the station, and he does weekly interviews. And so if you have a show, Jer is going to join you, and we love that. Uh, Katie Wu, when she first got to St. Louis, one of the things that I took on was I want to try to get Katie Wu on weekly. I was like, one of the things that I really wanted to do, and we all thought as a as a show after we had her on when she was first hired, man, she's really good on the air. We should try to get her on weekly. So we talked with our bosses, and we made that happen. Um, it just depends. It's a little different for everybody. Some of them are paid through the station. Others are just like last year we had um, Mike McKenna on every week. Mm-hmm. He just likes coming on the show. Super good guy. Had some good insight. So we had him on weekly as a part of that. So it depends. Uh, it's it just depends on how it is. As for somebody else says, what about the guys that aren't on weekly or girls that aren't on weekly? T-Bone? You enjoy that process? Mm-hmm. Is that your favorite part of the job? No. <laughs> what? No. It think can of be, the think of the can, context you've created. Oh, there are some that is are great. Fun. <laughs> there are others that don't want to respond, or they take like five hours between responses, or they can't even figure out the time zone differences. So, yeah. Or or every now and then I've reached out to the wrong number. So <laughs> read receipts. That's fun. Read receipts are the worst things that have ever been invented for people like Tanner. The best part about me no longer being the producer of a show is not having to reach out to guests as much anymore. Uh, and like, the, the worst part is when BK says, "Hey, here's ten numbers. Let's reach out to these for this week." <laughs> God, I remember having to do that Sunday mornings on KMOX. And I mean, you'd fill two hours of like guests and it would be like from Wednesday to Friday. I would be on my phone 24 seven trying to come up with different guests to respond. It's uh, the other thing. And this is just our philosophy on doing a show. Everybody's got a little bit different of an idea as to what the radio show should sound like. I I only want a guest on if they're going to bring something new to the table. If They're going to proceed a story like if we could think of somebody or if you guys could think of somebody honestly that's been in a situation like Tyler O'Neill where there's a little bit of a a back and forth with a manager or something like that like that's somebody that I would have on to talk about this situation those are the kinds of things that I'm willing to talk about or a former manager that's been in the spot that's all that all he's in right now that kind of thing but I don't want to just have a guy on to preview a game that is not something that I'm particularly interested in there are plenty of places you guys can go to get that this is not the show if that is what people are looking for. Uh, somebody else. <laughs> How quickly did Ryan Braun follow up? Oh, uh, the Ryan Braun one was a like immediate response, but it was, hey, text me at this other number. And I was like, oh, cool. Ryan Braun's got two phone numbers. Tee him high and let him fly, boys. Yeah. I, I was not suspicious until like when I called him, he acted surprised. And then after his first answer, I said to our executive producer, Mike Ryder, who's in an office and we can see him through a window here. I, I held down the talk button to him and I said, I don't think this is Ryan Braun. <laughs> there's one, and I was right. There's one regret I have in life. It's uh, the fact that we asked three more questions to fake Ryan Braun I, before we I, realized it. I will it. say I learned my lesson from that because if people remember, um, we had Matt Belisle on one time. I had texted a number I thought was Matt Belisle. And the person said, text me at this other. This is his actual number. Text him here. So I had, I had to call that number and have an actual conversation to confirm that was Matt Belisle. So I didn't fall for it again. Other than that, though, it's been fine. Uh, final thing here from the 636. Guys, can you guys see how often we are texting in, a.k.a. do I need to be ashamed of how often I text into the show? Uh, we can't see how often you've texted. You shouldn't be ashamed. You should text in more often. I think you should be more a part of the show. I we see welcome all of the, everybody. I see all of the hate that you all text in, though, so. 
be ashamed of that. Coming up next, we want to hear from you. 314-399-9646 is indeed the Air Comfort Service text line. We also have the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. We would love to hear your mic drops. What do you guys think about the Ollie Marmel and Tyler O'Neill situation? How do you assess it? Not just with what we saw last night. But what it means for those two moving forward, we've also got some John Mosellock audio that we'll play for you. He gave his response to last night's situation. We'll hear it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. The story of the day is Tyler O'Neill getting called out publicly by Ollie Marmel for not running hard on the play at the plate where he was thrown out at home by Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, it was the bottom of the seventh inning last night. If you weren't watching the game, two on, two outs. O'Neill's at second base. Donovan singles to right field. If O'Neill ends up stopping there, or if he's safe, honestly, uh, you end up having either the bases loaded or you've got to run in. You end up being down by two potentially. You've got Tommy Ebden coming up to the plate against a lefty. That's a really good spot for the Cardinals to be to potentially scratch across some more runs. They had a chance to be able to get back into that game. Instead, inning is over. You go into the uh, the next inning, and it's super frustrating for everybody involved. So if you missed the comments from last night, Ollie Marmel basically said, hey, we've got a specific way that we play here. You give it your all when you're on the field, and he didn't feel like Tyler O'Neill gave it his all on that play. O'Neill responded saying, hey, I play hard. I thought I was busting it there. I'm trying to do some things that are a little different with my sprinting this year. I'm trying to play 160 games. What more can I do here? He felt like he was called out publicly, and that was unfair. Today, Ollie Marmel, John Mosellock, and Tyler O'Neill have all given comments. I want to play those for you before we get to some of your mic drops reacting to this situation. Let's start with John Mosellock. We hadn't heard from him previously. Here's what he had to say about the whole situation. We play, we play 100%. Like, you, you go hard. And, you know, I certainly understand players that are trying to think through 162 and, and trying to manage, like, their energy and their load and how we think about it. But as a team, we try to help them do that, too. So when you're in a game, expectations are high. Expectations are that you go full throttle. And, you know, if there's a debate or interpretation of, of how that was last night, um, I think we'll try to keep that inside the clubhouse doors. But my take on this is Cardinals play it one way and you try to play it the right way so that was john mosaic that audio courtesy of bally sports midwest earlier today talking about the situation i think that all kind of backs up with what ollie's been saying publicly the only i would say change of direction would be he said hey we try to keep that stuff internally ollie made it a little bit more public that being said i don't know what you say if you're ollie marmel if you're asked the question of what happens on that play Like, he was asked specifically, do you think it was a bad send? He's going to say no there. Do you think that he should have made it home safely? He's going to say yes there. By virtue of saying that, you are saying you think that he could have run harder. So, I I mean, you're calling out his effort, whether you do so explicitly or implicitly. I I think it's a tough spot for Ollie in that. Yeah, and I'll say this. Like, somebody who 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 covers the team and works in the media, like, I prefer Ollie to be honest because I hate the managers that are just like, yes, no, we're going to keep that in-house. Because why? Like, 
unless it's coming from the general manager where it's like, look, let's let's keep this internally. And obviously it's not because John Mozeliak is speaking about it as well. Right. I'm fine with what Ali said, but now you toe the line of getting a player frustrated. And this is the kinks that you have to work out throughout a regular season. I thought that was the perfect thing that John Mozeliak could say there. Agree 100%. Hey, listen, we understand the player wants to stay healthy. We also want the player to stay healthy. That's what our entire goal is. I would add one other thing because I, I like what you said there, Alex. One of the one of the biggest frustrations that Cardinals fans had with Mike Matheny. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Everything was positive. Mm-hmm. You could never call out a player publicly, and people grew extremely frustrated by that. Well, now you've got a manager who's going to tell you how tell that how it is. And and the other thing that I respect about the way that Ollie handled it last night, to a degree, is asked and answered. The question was asked, what happened there? We didn't think he gave full effort. We're going to take care of it internally. This is my explanation on what happened with that specific play. Now, what's made this grow a bit, honestly, is that Tyler O'Neill had a very different response to being called out publicly than what Harrison Bader did last year. Mm -hmm. When Harrison Bader was called out, he talked to the media. I re-listened to his interview earlier today to kind of grasp it. And he said, hey, listen. Sometimes my emotions get the best of me. I'm an emotional player, and that's both good and it can be bad. And yesterday, I let the emotions get the best of me. Now, it is important context here. Harrison Bader knew at the time he was dealing with plantar fasciitis. He did not disclose that publicly. He ate it. He said, you know what? Did I have the best effort on that play? No. And if I'm going to be out there, I need to be giving it my all. Harrison Bader handled that a little differently than what we heard yesterday from Tyler O'Neill. Not saying one's right or wrong. It's just different responses. And that, in my opinion, is what's given more fuel to this. For people that have been frustrated with Ali Marmal, which we're going to get to the mic drops in, in momentarily, Ali essentially did what Craig Bruby has done all season. When there's been a bad game and he feels like his team is not giving the best effort, what does he do? He goes in the media and he says certain guys are not giving it 100%. And then you basically do process of elimination. The only difference is it's only one player on the field and you saw exactly who was not giving, in his opinion, 100% effort. All right, the next guy that I wanted to hear from, this is what Ollie Marmel had to say earlier today. We know what he said last night. Here's what he said this morning after sleeping on it the reality was yesterday was an example of of it not being to the standard that we expect um so it gets called out we address it and the player has an option to either cave in and go ahead and um make a make a change and show something different i mean that, that's all you really ask for from your manager or from a coach like if you're playing organized team sports and your coach calls you out you can respond to it and that that's what eventually tyler o'neill's gonna have the opportunity to do and we'll see Here's the one thing I wish would have happened. I wish Ollie would have put him right back in the lineup today. And if it was a planned day off, then okay. But if you're going to do that, I want to see that player right back in the Like, I would love Ollie to be like, hey, you think you're giving your best effort? Go back out there and do it again for us. That's the one thing that I would have loved to see Ollie do. I think Tyler O'Neill didn't respond to the way that he wanted, and therefore Tyler O'Neill basically took himself out of the lineup. I don't have an issue with Ollie not starting him. I mean, whose decision is If if Tyler's going to say, I'm not going to play, then okay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I think Tyler O'Neill pushed back again this morning and said, I'm giving you everything that I've got. And Ollie said, no, you're not. And if this is everything you've got, it's not good enough. And therefore, either way, you're not going to be in the lineup today. And that's where I would have said, you know what? I would have still, if he pushes back and said, I'm giving you everything, you're not. But go out there and show me that you are. I'm going to put you right back out there today. Yeah. And see, I don't mind the message of you're not playing today if, you, if you're going to push back because what, what's been the, the uh, theme of the Cardinals season in spring training? 
there's competition here on the team. And if you're going to push back and say you were given effort when we don't think you were, we've got other guys that want to be out there and play. Dylan Carlson wants an opportunity to play. We're going to give it to him. But He's everybody's got today. internal competition on their team. And if he's supposed to be your best player, go out there and show me you are. Not, I, think he, like this, I, I think he will. I, I think I, I think that'll happen. I think there needs to be a little bit more time between uh, when the incident happened, when these actions have taken place, and the words that have gone out there as well. Uh, final thing, let, let's hear from what Tyler O'Neill had to say earlier today. Here's how he addressed it inside of the locker room before today's game. You know, I came up, I got up through the minor leagues and into the big leagues playing hard and playing scrappy, and, you know, that's who I am, that's my character. Um, and I don't, I don't ever want anyone to take that away from me. Um, you know, these conversations definitely could have been had in-house and, and not gotten out on the loose like they have. Um, should have been handled a little differently, in my opinion, but, you know, who's to say? I think there's a couple of things that are happening here that, again, I... I don't necessarily fault Ollie for the way that he's handled it, but putting myself in Tyler O'Neill's shoes, just trying to think with his sensibilities, I can understand how it would be frustrating to be called out publicly for effort. I don't think there's anything more embarrassing as a player than being called out for not playing hard. Because it's one thing if you're just incapable of doing something, right? Like we knew when they sent like Colton Wong or Matt Adams to the outfield. Man, there's just there's certain plays they're not going to make out there because they're not capable of doing it. Jose Martinez at first base. It's going to be an adventure. There's nothing you can do about it because physically you can't ask for a whole lot more effort. That's a little different. And when you get called out, especially a guy like Tyler O'Neill, who he's not wrong. He's been a guy that has all of the tools and he plays his ass off. If you get called out publicly like that, mm, man, I can imagine that would be super frustrating and it would hit you a little. It would hit you in a way that hurts Mm -hmm. into your soul. So I get that. Now it's about how he responds, though. And we have seen at times in the past, O'Neal has not had the best responses. In 2021, when he had his best season, everything was going well for him all season long. He was healthy. He never got behind. It was just, it clicked. Everything fell into place for him. Last year, you start out with the contract negotiations. That sets him back a little bit. Then you get some of those injury concerns. That sets him back a little bit. And it just never got back on track because it felt like there was always some kind of a setback. How do you respond to this? Everything in baseball is about how you respond to adversity, and now he's getting hit with a little bit more adversity. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to disrupt because I know we got to get to mic drops too. I'll say I I, I look at it with Tyler O'Neill, and without the with the adversity, we'll see how he responds because he hasn't come back from it before. I I think this one will be different because I think there's something to kind of prove to the coaching staff with this one. This one's not like the contract negotiations lasted for what was it, like a month, I think, if I remember correctly. Like That was the first month of the season before his case was settled with arbitration. And then injuries was one that it got annoying. And I, I think he, there was frustration from him there. This one feels different because he is healthy. I, I think he will bounce back from this one. I do think he will respond to this one. I, I think he just has to come to the mindset of, you know what, they were right. I'm I'm wrong. I, I did not give effort. And I think that's where the pushback's coming from. That's why it's such a big deal right now. We will get to your mic drops. 101 ESPN app. That's where you go to find it. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to those on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario, 
It's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. We called for your guys' mic drops. We'll get to them right now. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line as well. If you want to get involved in the show, we're talking about the Tyler O'Neill situation from last night. And really, it's it's already come into today where O'Neill is not in the lineup. O'Neill, Ollie Marmel, John Mosaloc all addressed this earlier today. What does this mean for O'Neill standing with the Cardinals right now? Let's hear from you. Ignacio is going to lead us off today with his thoughts on the Tyler O'Neill situation and how it's been handled. Hey, guys. I think uh, the whole Ollie and O'Neill situation is kind of just a black eye against the organization. Um, I think that anytime you see ESPN or national media picking up on the St. Louis Cardinals, you're hoping it's for something good, but instead it turns out it's something of this nature. It can go both ways. I think there should be shared responsibility with the third base coach sending on a runner coming from uh, second base. And I think it's also up to the runner to really push it 100%. I actually would disagree with that. I don't think it's a black eye for the organization. I think the organization is setting the standard of who they are. John Mazalak said it, Ali said it, and it's been the same conversations throughout the entire time that the Cardinals have been an organization. 100% the Cardinal way. Like, Mosaic said it. Ollie said it. Like, if you're not playing 100%, you're not a part of this Cardinals team. And that's the statement that's lasted the test of time. And Ignacio is right in terms of the media taking attention to this. Mike Petriello, of course, who's a friend of the show, tweeted out earlier today that I'm surprised at how the Cardinals are handling this whole situation. And I would imagine there are a ton of teams around Major League Baseball that think Tyler O'Neill would look great in their outfield. Probably because Tyler O'Neill is probably a, a 30, 35 home run hitter for another team if he can stay 100% healthy. But if you're not given 100%, you don't mesh well with the Cardinals. Nolan Arenado is a Cardinal. Paul Goldschmidt is a, a Cardinal. Brendan Donovan is a Cardinal. Like, that is the way. So I, I would disagree with that. Uh, let's go out to Zach's mic drop. What does he have to say about the Tyler O'Neill situation and how it's been handled? Hey, guys, a couple thoughts on the O'Neill topic. First, I don't think any of Pop Warner, Tyler O'Neill, or Ali are blameless in this. I don't think any of them have acted perfectly. Um, but I do think the burning question in my mind is um, O'Neill spent all offseason in St. Louis working on conditioning and training and things to improve his longevity, improve his durability. And I'm wondering... How much, if any, of the drop in sprint speed all year so far, including that play last night, is due to what the St. Louis trainers had taught him? And it, I got that vibe in the in his comments last night that he was frustrated that he's being told by the organization to do one thing and now being criticized for doing that exact thing now. So I think there's a few different things here, and I, I agree with his overall thought, which is nobody's been handling this perfectly, and I also think some of that is understandable. I'm not sure I agree with this whole Tyler O'Neill has learned to run this way thing, and that makes it acceptable. Tyler O'Neill went into the offseason, and his goal was not to get slower. It was not to play at 80%. It was to train in a way that will make his performance more sustainable. Full stop. And so part of that training is, hey, we're going to make your running form a little bit more streamlined. We're going to make this something that puts less pressure on you. Alex, I'm a runner. And so there are a lot of different things that you can do. Like I I ran a marathon. There are a lot of things that you can do to make that a little easier on your body, right? 
There are some people that run with their arms going perpendicular to your body. That costs you more energy. Don't do that. (laughs) You shouldn't run with your arms crossing side to side. You go straight up and down, right? That is something that you can learn as a marathoner. It is very different with the sprints that Tyler O'Neill is doing in order to make this sustainable over 162. Again, that doesn't mean, though, that they wanted him to go from a 30 feet per second player to a 28 feet per second player in terms of his sprint speed. That's what's happened so far this year. Is that because he lost speed in the offseason? His new running form has made him slower? Or is that because he's going at like 80% capacity because he thinks that's the way to be able to sustain over 162? And if that is the case, what does that mean for him as a player? What does that mean for the Cardinals as a team? It changes something. So um, I think that's the context that I would add to it. Let's go back out to the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Let's hear from Hunter. What does he have to say? Well, I hate to say it, but I kind of agree with BK. I mean, I really hate to agree with BK on anything. But this definitely is not all about the one play from last night. This has been, I think, been boiling underneath the surface for a while now. Otherwise, you don't go straight to the media like Ollie did, which I'm not a huge fan of. And just based upon the one play last night, there's no way they should have sent Tyler home on that play. Ollie didn't go straight to the media. He had to speak with the media, and the media was going to ask what happened on that Tyler O'Neill tag out. Like, going straight to the media would have been Ollie opening up the press conference and saying, Tyler O'Neill was not giving 100%, and that is not the way that the Cardinals go. He answered the question, and then he answered the follow-up question. So, I mean, again, it's not like one person is to blame and the other person's to blame. You look at this and you just say it's the situation that unfolded, but... Of course, this is more than just that single play. Like Tyler O'Neill has been this guy for the last couple of years in terms of health. And then this just kind of transpired. But I mean, that's the part that I just refuse to believe. Like Ollie went out there and said, like, all right, it's time to blast Tyler O'Neill with this. No, he was answering the question that was asked by the media. Somebody on the text line from the 314 says, guys, Tyler O'Neill has been a problem for the Cardinals since his arbitration last last season. I don't know if that's fair to characterize it as saying he's a problem for the team. What I would say, though, is that I think the arbitration was the fork in the road moment for Tyler O'Neill and the Cardinals. And I think this is the case for a lot of players where they learn in that process. Hell, Jack Flaherty has said this. Ryan Helsley, as recently as like a month or two ago, said he was surprised by the way that the arbitration process goes. They basically call you out and say, these are all of the different things that you don't do well. Right. And Ryan Helsley's like, wait, I was... Like arguably the second best closer in all of baseball last year, and you're not willing to give me an extra 500k. And Carter's like, no, this is our business model. We we don't do that. And it's really Major League Baseball, but the Cardinals have to be the ones that actually go out there and argue against the player, which is a terrible way to go about it. But neither here nor there. I think for Tyler O'Neill, he took that stuff personally, man, and it really affected him. And it went into the season last year, and it carried over onto his on-field performance. I don't think that's totally left his mind since. This is me playing armchair psychologist, but I think that's been a little bit of a a bridge in the a fork in the road moment for for their relationship. And I think that does spill over into situations like this. And sometimes individuals and teams in terms of pro sports are just on different pages. And sometimes you can work through it, sometimes you can't. And now that's where you're at the crossroads. 
right, how do you move forward with this Tyler O'Neill and Ali Marmol? Or is it a portion where you just look at this and say, all right, this just might not be a relationship we can stick with moving forward. Our last mic drop we want to get to. Let's hear from Ben on the Tyler O'Neill situation and how it was handled. Ali Marmol calling out Tyler O'Neill. I think really stems a little bit from when he came into spring training saying he was going to play center field. He was going to do it for 160 games. And I just think he was a little cocky. Well, if you're not going to put out over 162 games what it takes to win, you're not going to play 160 games. So I just feel like Ali Marmol was just kind of putting him in his place. And I don't have a problem with it. If you want to be the big dog, you got to put up. That's I don't have a problem with how it was handled at all. I think Ali did it the right way. I think Tyler O'Neill maybe, you know, didn't address it the best way possible, but he's a person and he's addressing it when he's asked the question again I just I look at this and say I would have loved to see Ollie go right back to Tyler O'Neill today and say look may have at our crossroads but if you feel like you're at 100% go out there and show it to me all right we have had a few people say something to the effect of guys the Cardinals never called out Albert Pujols or Yadier Molina for them not sprinting out a potential base hit to first why are they doing this? Why did they do it last year with Harrison Bader? Why are they doing it now with Tyler O'Neill? I think it's very simple, and it goes back to the physical ability thing that I talked about. I Ollie doesn't often call out guys that he thinks are incapable of doing certain things. Like when Juan Yepes was in the outfield, Ollie Marmol told us very directly, he can catch it, he can throw it. And what was left unsaid there was, he's not a great outfielder. He's not going to be good defensively, but we need his bat in the lineup. And right now, he's one of the guys that we trust the most to be a top nine bat for us. And so, yeah, he's going to get some opportunities in the outfield because we've got Albert Pools who's going to be playing DH for us. So they did it. And when he made a misplay in the outfield, Ollie's response was basically, sometimes he's not going to catch it because that's who he is as a player. He didn't call him out for a lack of effort out there. He was trying his best. There's just certain things he's incapable of doing. And so this goes back to Yadier Molina and Albert Pools trying to leg out a, a infield hit, for example. Those guys are incapable of doing that. They were some of the slowest players in all of Major League Baseball. And in fact, them trying to run it out actually probably does put them at a legitimate injury risk. And so the managers aren't going to be doing that with them. It's different with O'Neill and Bader and Tommy Edmond. Like those guys win with their speed. That is part of what make them winning players in this lineup for you. Newtbar, if he wasn't trying to leg out a single... Dude, yeah, absolutely he would be called out for the, from this management because he should be. It's part of how he helps you win baseball games. I think that was part of it with Tyler O'Neill is this is your skill set. If you're not going to be able to score from, sec, or from second on a single, well, then that's a problem for us. Because now you're basically clogging the bases the same way that it would be with, and I'm just going like, not specifically on that play, but in general. Now you have basically become a station-to-station runner. That's not who Tyler O'Neill is supposed to be as a player. So I, I think that's the difference is um, that those guys aren't asked to do that. Well, and again, it, different players are asked to do different things. To sit here and act like, oh, he's not calling out Yachty and Pujols last year. When have we ever seen the sprint speed of Yachty and Pujols to where it's like, oh, man, these guys are really fast runners. Like, this is what the narrative has always been 
Whereas the last couple of years with Tyler O'Neill, he's been one of the fastest players on this team. We went into the season talking about him being a guy who could potentially steal 25 to 30 bases if he gets on base. There's a different look to Tyler O'Neill than what it was in the past, where the last five, six, seven years of Yachty and Pujols has been the exact same as it always has been. Let me let me add one more thing. Like, If you're Yachty or Molina, if it was Yachty last year, and he loafs it on his his preparation for a game behind the plate. He clearly wasn't prepared for the lineup that he's going up against, and his game calling suffers as a result. And then later on in the game, he is way slow with his pop time, and you can tell he's just not engaged defensively. That would be called out for effort. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing with him that would be called out. If Juan Yepes goes to the plate and has no plan for like six consecutive games, that would get him called out for effort. Those are the kinds of things. It's what do you do to help us win? If you can't do that physically, okay. If you can't do that because it's a lack of effort or a lack of preparation, that's where Ollie Marmol gets mad. That's where it is a non-negotiable with this coaching staff. And frankly, I applaud that. I'm happy that they uh, they treat it that way because that's how you create a organizational culture or you keep guys held accountable. I think all of us are in favor of guys being held accountable when it is necessary. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. More likely to happen coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Oh, come on, man. We need a little more effort than that. that? After last night, that's the way that you're getting into this segment? What are you talking about? I feel like your effort's been lacking today in general, actually. Are you kidding me? No. I mean, you you basically punted at the end of a segment saying, oh, I think you're going to call for, for mic drops here. What? And now this? What are you? you got, this is BS. Uh, Ollie, Ollie, what do you think of this effort today? That's not our style of play as far as the, the effort. Um, yeah, I'm with them. Look, I work my butt off every single day to do this. Do you? I worked it <laughs> off to get to this point. Did and you? you're going to tell me that I'm not giving 100%? I don't know, man. That was kind of lackluster. You know what? Today's a scheduled day off for me. I'm out, guys. 314-399-9646 at <laughs> the Air Comfort Service Excellent. I do feel like sometimes Alex, Alex has those, uh, what do they call them in, in the NBA, T-Bone? Uh, load management Load days? management days? Yeah. yeah. Alex is like, ah, load management day for me, boys. It's defense, man. Some days he's got double headers, so. That's a good point. It's a really good Seven point. Seven inning double headers, though. Oh, are they? Oh, those are the worst. Yeah. I feel like right now in the blue season, that's kind of true. Now that was a lack no, of effort right. from Rob Manford. <laughs> blue season right now is like 12 inning doubleheaders. All right. Um, I'll go ahead and get us started. Guys, more likely to happen. The Cardinals rotation is an asset or a liability by the end of the year. I don't know. You start because you're uh, still searching for those positives. I don't really have a positive today. Now, if you want to talk about last night, I thought Steven Matz was actually okay. Oh, yeah. Getting pounded in the first couple of innings. You want to talk fine. You want to talk about Jake Woodford? Thought there were some real signs there that he could be an okay number five starter for you. Just never throw a fastball and it'll be fine. Jack Flaherty start. I got nothing for you. (laughs) Miles Michaelis today. I got nothing for you. 
Get this, out of the second inning. This lack of swing and miss, especially with Michaelis, is real. And when you're going up against the top offenses in baseball, as he has, it shows up. If you can't get guys to swing and miss at your stuff, and Michaelis hasn't today, it is going to get hit hard, and it has, and it's going to result in some runs. Ah. I heard a theory we should be pitching to contact. Yeah. Okay. Um, he, by the way, has one walk so far today. Doesn't seem to matter. Five games, 16 ERA, 526 batting average, 921 slug, uh, 1499 OPS against the starting pitchers. Overall? Yeah. Through five games. A 500 batting average? 526 batting average. Go on a limb and say I can't Listen, be that I'm going to say liability. <laughs> gonna, gonna, no, 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 no. Guys, it, there's, it's all looked fine. Yeah, asset it's more or likely, liability? It's at, asset liability. I'm going to go liability. I mean, it's not been impressive so far. Um, and really, it's only been one inning in every outing minus Jack Flaherty's. Uh, and and again, those one we'll, innings are giving up nine runs. Again, it, it, does Atlanta score another run that I missed? How is it all of a sudden four nothing? I thought he got out of the second <laughs> was, inning clean. No, it was a home run he gave up. Oh, another a, smash. Uh, all right, Matt Olson yeah. home run on the on a changeup that was basically right down the middle. Yeah, okay. How far did so that one go? So this is a liability for uh, 410 sure. 410 feet. Jeez. It wasn't center. that far. Well, it wasn't Austin Riley, 4.99. Yeah, this, is, this is a liability. Yeah, liability. Alex, what do you have for us for more likely to happen? All right. More likely to happen, gentlemen. Tyler O'Neill is traded by the deadline. Tyler O'Neill is in the lineup in the first uh, round of the playoffs for the Cardinals. Okay. I'll, I'll go against the grain, I would imagine, today, given what the last 24 hours has been like here in St. Louis, and say it is more likely that he is in the lineup to start out the postseason. I do wonder how all, all of these comments play with other teams. Like, I would say Skip Schumacher probably kind of knew what's going What's What's the deal with Tyler O'Neill? If you're another team and you're seeing some of these comments from the Cardinals, I would imagine that probably gives you a bit of pause about what kind of player you're getting in Tyler O'Neill. So I think he does have real value on the trade market, but I think it's more likely that he's in the op- or the playoff lineup. T-Bone? I would say more likely he's in the playoff lineup too. Uh, last year, it was there was frustration frustrations expressed by the coaching staff <laughs> and Tyler O'Neill returned for 2023. So I, I think with that in my mind, I don't think they would make the kind of move in season because I think the front office and even Ollie has said, you know, I think Tyler O'Neill is going to have a big year. I think this was just one of those moments where it's, hey, we got to nip this in the butt now. So it's only an issue in game. What are we in game six today rather than in game 160? You so call it nip it in the button? Nip it in the butt, I said. Okay. Butt? What the hell would that be? <laughs> I, was, I, was like, I didn't Butt know or button? I said butt. Um, but I, I think it was just they want to jump it. They they want to make sure they get this done now rather than, hey, playoffs are around the corner and this has been an issue with Tyler O'Neill all year long. I'll I feel say like it's more, sorry, real quick to add on to that. I feel like there's been a moment in each of the last like four seasons where I thought it was the final play that we see from Tyler O'Neill on a Cardinals uniform. Yeah, honestly, touche with Remember that one. Remember the playoffs in 2020 where he was pinch hit at the end of the game? 
I was like, ah, I guess we've seen the end of Tyler O'Neill in a Cardinals uniform. Back MVP. <laughs> 2021 happens. Boom. Just this crazy MVP type of season. And then last year, him going to the Arizona Fall League, I was like, ah, oh, well, that's definitely it. And then this year, this. So I, it always feels I, like it happens. I'll say so. it's more likely that he's traded because this isn't this isn't like uh, one guy thinks he's healthy and should be playing and the other guy's saying, no, I'm injured. This is a one side thinks you're not giving 100% and the other side believes he's giving 100%. That seems like it's just the uh, calm before the storm throughout the season. So uh, I think it, and all of this, as much as a team can can scoff at this and say like, oh, I don't know if we want to trade. If he's hitting, somebody's going to want to get in on the Tyler O'Neill action. Alex, what do you have for more likely to happen today, buddy? I just provided a more likely to happen, buddy. T-Bone, what do you have for more likely to happen, buddy? <laughs> My, mine was with the My pitching apologies. as well. More likely to happen. Bad effort by me. The Cardinals starters. <laughs> dogging it around third. It's fine. More likely to happen. The Cardinals starters have a better ERA, ERA than the bullpen, or the bullpen finishes with a better ERA than the starters? A bullpen. <laughs> well, that was, was kind of quick for a guy that it's fine. I, I think the bullpen has a chance to be pretty good. Drew Verhagen's legit. So is Zach Thompson. Yeah. And Gio. Did you see that inning yesterday? I think you've got four... As of today, reliable arms coming out of the bullpen right now. Maybe five, depending on what you get out of Andre Pallante. And he's looked pretty solid so far. Better than what I saw from him in the spring. So. And Packy Naughton's been yeah. okay six. at times. We're up to six. Right. Guys, the let's circle of trust thing is not going to get to six. Let's so let's calm the, the blank down. Uh, but I'd say it's more likely that it's the bullpen also. I, I think I agree. I, I think it's more likely it's the bullpen. And I, I'm starting to wonder. And we, I mentioned this, I think we had talked about early in the year. I still don't think they're going to have an innings deficit, but I, I did say I thought there would be a chance they had, an, had didn't have an innings deficit, but it was ineffective innings. And so far, we've kind of seen that. Steven Match was able to go six, but it wasn't a great outing. It was a solid outing, but it wasn't great. And I think you've seen that from some of the stars. Jack Flaherty somehow able to get through five innings. Wasn't a great outing, but he was able to get it done. So I, I think my fear is starting to come true, and my fear is that they're going to have to go the Mike Schultz route and start using this bullpen like crazy. BK, what do you got for us today? I'm more likely to happen, buddy. Thanks, man. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service <laughs> X line. Four more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. Uh, guys, this one comes from the 314. More likely that the Blues end up picking eighth in the draft or outside of the top 10 in the draft. Right now, they're sitting at 10th. Eighth is the Vancouver Canucks with 75 points on the season. You have 79. You are tied, though, with Detroit, who is 11th. Uh, I'll say it's more likely you're drafting in the top 10 uh, because the Vancouver Canucks have about as ideal of a finality to the season as you can ask for. I believe, and I'd have to double check it with the Detroit Red Wings, theirs is also somewhat ideal. Uh, the team that concerns me is the Washington Capitals, but um, because the Blues have New York, Dallas, Dallas and Minnesota, I'll say they draft in the top 10. I think they're going to be around 9 or 10 when they draft. I hate to be negative here, but I think they end up outside the top 10. I, I, I think they're playing really good hockey right now, which we don't want, and they've been messing stuff up all year long. They are supposed to be a playoff team, played poorly. Now they're supposed to be playing poorly. Now they're playing great. So I, I think they've got a different kind of swagger around them right now. I, I think they're kind of out here to prove not like, hey, we belong in the playoffs, but hey, we're not as bad as people believe. I, I do think they're going to surprise us and win two games they're not supposed to down the stretch here and fall outside would the have, top ten. Just All like, that would require is just winning any of the remaining games. Just like they did that against Nashville, who 
whooped up on that. Oh, what about the LA Kings? Boston. Oh, yeah, whooped up on that. Boston. Boston. Yeah, Boston. I don't know what the hell happened there. Like, the teams that they've played against that are playoff caliber teams have wiped the floor with them, with the exception of Boston. I just think their offense right now puts them in any conversation. Winnipeg Winnipeg should not be in the playoffs. Agreed. Winnipeg is is about as good as the Blues right now. Um, I think that speaks to where the Blues are at in terms of the Western Conference, too. And really, it speaks to the Western Conference lack of depth. Which is weak. Um, But yeah, I I tend to think they eventually... I think the Blues lose out. I think they lose each of these final four games of the regular season. And I think you end up picking eighth. Oh, you you think eighth? That that was what what I was trying to get to, is like eighth or outside of the top ten. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you meant in You're the good. top 10 or outside. I was yeah. going to correct you. Okay. I would have said outside <laughs> the top 10 because eighth, I feel like is a long shot because you need Vancouver, Detroit, and Washington to at least be competitive Don't down need the stretch. Anything from Detroit because you've already got the tiebreaker over them. If you lose out, you need Washington get to get at least three points and you need Vancouver. I'm not sure what the tiebreaker is there, to be honest with you, in terms of where they're, they would have the tiebreaker over you. So you you need Vancouver to get at least five points and Washington to get at least three. And Vancouver's doable. Washington's the one that I'd be concerned about. And then we just got this. Uh, Luke Hork tweeting out. Baruby said, Buchnevich will play tomorrow, but no Thomas and no Bortuzzo. So. Uh, let, let Buchnevich heal, man. Let him get to full strength. Nah, he's got to come back and play against the New York Rangers. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so. What do we do with this Cardinals rotation right now? What is the level of concern? I honestly, the level of panic given what the rotation has looked like through their first turn. And then what we've seen so far today from miles. Michaelis. we'll get into that coming up in about 10 minutes or so, but coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on one one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on one Oh one ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we'll talk about the Cardinals rotation, which is not a great spot right now. I think it's a fair way to characterize the first week or so of the nah, season. No, nah, man, it's fine. We'll see. It's fine. We'll talk about that a little bit more coming up here in just a little bit. It's only but Alex, one bad inning. It's time, time to dive into the junk drawer. At least you're giving effort. <laughs> have you seen the new Starbucks drinks that they have made? No. So they come out with a bunch of new stuff. A lot of it pretty good. I know, T-Bone, you're a big Starbucks connoisseur. Is it pumpkin spice season yet? No, no. We still got a little while. About six months. Oh, man. (laughs) I'm not sure this one would agree with Alex's stomach. Because we know. It's got dairy in and I'm out. (laughs) He's got some IBS issues that he has talked about on the radio. Have I? Oh, yeah, I guess I have. The chain announced (laughs) olive oil infused beverages. Oh, I'm in. Starting in the month of February. Let's go. Here's the problem. According to multiple customers, quote, apparently Starbucks thinks that I need to have help with my bowel issues. And this Aledo coffee is exactly the thing that I needed. Continuing on with this story. There are certain people that work for Starbucks that say even those that work there say that if you need to use the restroom, I know exactly what you need. 
Alex, would you be interested in drinking these uh, olive oil infused Starbucks Look, drinks? There's never been a point in my life that I've needed to use the restroom, so I'd be out on that. But I love me some olive oil. When you're cooking with it, you take a little guzzle of it. Oh, man, olive oil is great. Oh, question. What? Oh yeah. Are you just over there drinking? No, you don't. You don't drink you know, like a lot a of it. You take a little strip of a, a sip of it, though. Oh, that's disgusting. Oh man, have you never oh. done the olive oil with Dude, Parmesan I, cheese and bread? I'll never it's be phenomenal. Able, I'll well, never yeah, but be I'm eating yeah. bread with it. Yeah, I'm not just drinking it oh, out of man. the bottle. Yeah, it's just out on olive oil. I love me some oh, olive oil. I, just like I put garlic on everything. I don't think we can be friends anymore. That's no, disgusting. That's fine. Olive oil messes with my stomach in a way that is. Not fun see, at all. See, olive oil doesn't mess with it as much as like vegetable oil messes with it. Like that, <laughs> that'll that'll put you in the bathroom so for a good hour. What you is we need to go ahead and go to the company coffee room, and one day for Alex, instead of the laxatives putting those in there, just infuse a little bit of vegetable oil, oh, yeah. and that'll get it taken care of. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Olive oil, uh, olive oil doesn't do it, but vegetable oil, man, you pour that in there. I'm out. Hey, man, I'm a, I am ai like Starbucks. I got no issues with Starbucks whatsoever. There are certain things we just don't need. Olive oil infused coffee is one of those things. Nobody needed it. Nobody asked for it. This is not going to end well for it's anybody. Like I was, was walking around the grocery store the other day because, of course, I love it and I just go around there and walk around when I'm bored. Um, there's a bag of potato chips. You know how they do the weird flavors? They had a, a fish and chips flavored bag of potato chips. That sounds like something my wife would definitely be interested in right now. I just don't get it. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. What do you need? Fish and chips. Why do we flavor need to fla- chips? Why do we need to flavor a chip chip? Yeah. I don't need fish flavored chips. Three nine 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 six four six. This one comes from the three one four. So Alex doesn't actually have IBS. He's just constantly drinking olive oil. Huh. We all figured it out. No, I mean, you gotta understand. I'm not like taking like big shots of it. It's just while you're cooking, take a little sip of it. Like, man, some good olive oil. I do just picture you like casually. You got your apron on in the kitchen and you're frying something up. And then like I just look over to the right and there's like a little shot glass. I'm like, oh, what's in there? Olive oil. Olive oil. Oh, there is a place in St. Charles that you can go where they just let you. Take a sip and try out all of Look, the olive oils. Sometimes you got to know what kind of olive yeah. oil you're cooking with. They've got some flavored olive oils. They've got the original oh, olive oil. I got some. They've got I got some Chipotle. They've got lime infused. There's I got some lemon stuff. garlic olive oil that I use on the vegetables when we fry them. Oh, oh. Yeah. it's game changer, man. Coming up it's next, stuff. What are we supposed to do with the Cardinals pitching staff right now? Specifically, this rotation. This is not what I was hoping for. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the Cardinals rotation is struggling, to say the least. We thought that maybe today could be a day where you get back on track. Miles Michaelis, rough first start, but a lot of that was uh, just soft hits that found a way to get in for singles. And it ended up, you you add it all up, it was a rough day at the office for Miles Michaelis. But he didn't miss many bats, and when you live that way, that kind of a day can happen for you. Well, right now, he's allowed six hits, four earned runs, one walk. He does have three strikeouts now, has kind of seemingly settled in a bit. He's up to just about 70 pitches through three and a third right now. But you look overall at the Cardinals rotation numbers. They're, they're brutal, man. They have the second worst batting average against on the season. They have allowed an opposing batting average of 345. They're 27th in Major League Baseball and ERA. It's amazing that there are multiple teams that have been worse than them at a 7.6 starting rotation ERA. That includes what we've seen so far today 
from Miles Michaelis. Alex, now that we've seen a full start through the rotation and part of what today's start is for Miles Michaelis, where are you at on your level of concern slash panic? I mean, I would still put it at like a five somewhere in the middle because I I do provide a little more leniency when it comes to starting pitchers. It's hard to judge them off their first start in the season, especially when you're coming off of spring training where you're trying to get acclimated. Like Katie Wu told us, it's three. Some guys I'd even give a little bit more like a Jack Flaherty who's been injured over time, but it's concerning and I understand people's narrative of, well, you're going up against some really good lineups to start the season, like Toronto and Atlanta. Yeah, but aren't those the lineups that you're competing with when you're talking about going for a World Series? And if Atlanta's smashing you around the first time through the order, well, that's a little bit concerning when it comes to all of your guys are pitching to contact and the contact is blasting it out of the ballpark. So there is still some leniency for me to where it's like, all right, let's give him a couple more starts. I mean, even I even heard Adam Wainwright say on the opening drive that like, talk to me in three weeks and then we can have the conversation of maybe overestimating these starting pitchers. Fine. But I'm still going to panic in terms of the first time viewing it because right now they're getting beat up. Yeah. I think I would be about at the four or five in terms of my level of panic because I, I am going to still have a leeway of three starts. Now, Michael did just give up another earned run, and isn't this uh, Justice Acuna from first to home again for the second Is that time two today? Times? Yeah, uh, but so I, I I have some concerns, and it's going to slowly continue to tick up now that we're into the second time through the rotation, and this is not a good start for Miles Michaelis again. I always give pitcher starting pitchers a, a three start leeway, and as we get into that after that first round of starts, I kind of look at it and go, okay, it's the first start of the season. There's going to be kind of you know anything can happen. Maybe they're locked in. Maybe they still need some time to build up. That second start, I'm going to look at like Miles Michael Stay and go, okay, we haven't really seen improvement, so that's kind of alarming. By the time he makes his third start, whatever that is for Miles Michaelis next, if he's bad again, then I'm really going to be sounding the alarm bells. And I'll go through that process with each starter and then assess it as a team. So right now, I'm kind of sitting at that five spot to where it's like, okay, today was really a start where I wanted to see some improvements because to Alex's point, Yes, these are good lineups, but these are the teams you're going to have to beat in the postseason. If, if you want to go on a run in the postseason, you're going to have to beat the Atlanta Braves. And we knew all offseason long, they did not have swing and miss stuff. They were banking on Dusty Blake to become this magical wizard. Oh, there it is. And create, Hit the bell. We're already and, blaming him. And, and create, well, no, no, I'm not trying to blame Dusty Blake, but that's what they did use as kind of an excuse of, hey, we don't need to go get another starter because we think we can get more with Dusty Blake helping Jordan Montgomery, for example, helping Steven Matz, who was the best starter of anybody through the first time through the rotation, and banking on Jack Flaherty. So I'm not overly concerned, but as we keep going along here, it is going to become more and more alarming if they can't seem to get things built around it. Miles Michael's second start, not off to a great one. So that swing and miss stuff is what we heard so much about during the offseason. You guys know where the Cardinals rank right now in swing and miss this year? I'm going last. In terms of the starters. I would say middle of the pack. Last. Oh, okay. I was being 30th. optimistic. There are zero teams that have missed more, fewer bats so far this year on a rate basis than the St. Louis Cardinals. If you combine that with being 29th in first pitch strikes, you're screwed. You're going out there and you're screwed. I remember there was a... There was a story from, I think it was Derek Gould earlier this offseason. Um, it was it was during spring training, I think. He talks to Dusty Blake about the difference between starting 0-1 and 1-0. And like the difference in batting average against, just based on that one, that, that first pitch, do you get up or do you get behind, is massive. I can't remember the exact numbers. I'll look them up after this break for you. But 
when you get up 0-1, it's like, wow, this guy becomes Cy Young. When you get down 1-0, uh, the at-bat goes horrendously bad on average for you as a pitcher. And the Cardinals are starting out 1-0 more than all but one team in Major League Baseball so far this season. T-Bone, you tipped me off to that before the show today. I want to give you credit for it. That's a problem, man. They're not getting enough first pitch strikes. They're not swinging, getting any sort of swing and miss. When they finally get to two strikes, they don't seem to have the put-out pitches that are necessary to be able to get these guys out. They're giving up far too much hard contact. And like even today, I'm sure that there's going to be some that see this and say, well, at least Miles Michaelis didn't give up a bunch of walks. That's fine. But at some point, you got to find a way to get guys out. And he's not doing that. And so my concern for the Cardinals rotation, it goes back to what we have been saying all along. I'm not all that concerned about it during the regular season. It might feel that way based on what I'm saying right now. I'm not. I think they're going to be okay because they've got a very good offense, even though they're not showing it today over the course. I I looked this up earlier this morning. We, through five games, have seen the Cardinals in their batting order get at least one hit by nine players in the order, eight players in the order, nine, eight, nine. In three of the five games, every player in the starting lineup got a hit. That's remarkable. They've been one of the most productive top-to-bottom offenses in the sport. That's going to play over the course of the season. They'll be okay. They'll make this up. But in the playoffs, as you guys mentioned, this is the team that you're playing. The Blue Jays are the type of lineup that you're going to see. So if you don't have that swing and miss, if you're not getting ahead, what's the answer? Because eventually you got to find one. And right now, I don't think they have that answer to be able to to get those outs that are necessary to be able to win in the postseason again. And that's the hard part, because this isn't like, oh, we'll go go trade for an ace. That's great. But that's one guy starting for you in the playoffs. That's one guy starting for you when you've got the next four guys who are pitch to contact types of players. And that's the concerning part, because as much as we talk about the need of a like a stud and maybe Jack Flaherty can get there and Miles Michaelis was that guy last year, if you don't have more guys that have the ability to limit the amount of damage that's done to them the first time through the order where guys step up and just start swinging because they know it's pitch to contact, then it doesn't matter because you find yourself trailing and as great as this offense is, when you're down by four, five, six runs in the first inning, that's a pretty massive mountain to climb, and it is not easy to do every single game. And, and what I think will be interesting is, and we all agree here, if Adam Wainwright's healthy, you've got five starters locked in. Like You're not pushing any of these guys to the bullpen. At least I don't think you would. And, and if these guys can't get it turned around, that's where it really becomes interesting and not finding that swing and miss. And yes, the Cardinals' defense is good, and I understand some people that make the argument of, well, pitch to contact, which, which one they are doing, but... By pitching to contact, we've seen across baseball, average has gone up with the lack of shifting. And though the Cardinals' defense is good, maybe they do make up for some of that. But I don't think it's for the full, I think it's, what, 15 points average is up compared to last year at this point. Again, early sample size. But I, I don't think they can make up for a 15-point difference. If anything, it's like five. And, and that's not enough to make up for the lack of swing and miss in the Cardinals' rotation. Especially not against these teams. Yes. Because this is what we're really comparing them to. I asked before the season, is there anything that the Cardinals can do in the regular season that would change your perspective on them if they were to once again get bolted in the first round? And I brought up the possibility of winning 100 games and losing in the NLDS in Game 5. And the vast majority of, of the audience said, no, that would be considered a disappointment. And I think that's fair. But if that's the case, 
Well, then this is what you're measuring yourself by. It's series like this against Atlanta. It's series like the first one against the Blue Jays. And what we learned is that right now, it's super early, but right now, your pitching's not up to, up to snuff against those kinds of lineups. I, I also say, or I, we also got this text from the 314. All right, that's fine. We all understand that this is an issue, but how do they fix it? We all know they need an ace, but do they also need another swing and miss starter as well? And this brings me to last night. I do think there were some encouraging signs on on Steven Matz. I know nobody wants to hear it because he ended up giving up the four runs and especially with the hard contacts that he gave up. Like You see that and it's really hard to focus on the good when there is real bad. Uh, Steven Matz had some swing and miss stuff last night that I was impressed by. And if he continues that, I think he can be a middle of the rotation starter for you. Maybe even in a playoff series. I think the the tough part, though, is they don't have that number one starter. And so to answer the question directly of what do they need to do, if Flaherty doesn't become that guy, they have to trade for one. This is the year that you, you have to trade for one. I don't know if you got a number two starter right now. You got a lot of dudes that are like, yeah, he'd be a great middle of the rotation pitcher. I mean, Jordan Montgomery had some optimism with his start, but still got hit around the first time through the order. I think you got five guys right now, four guys that you look at and you say, yeah, they're they're a good complimentary piece towards the back end of your rotation. You don't have a one or a two. I, I, I think somebody will emerge as a two because it is still one start from everybody outside of Michael. who's making a second today. I, I do think somebody will emerge too. These guys, though they have struggled early on, they are not this bad. They Somebody will write the ship. Now, three of the four may be bad. We'll <laughs> find out. But somebody will write the ship and become that number two. Steven Madge right now looks like that number two with the swing and miss we saw. I, I think if they can't acquire a ace or Jack Flaherty doesn't become the ace, I think what they'll have to come to the conclusion of, because they've got the five guys locked into this rotation, is they're going to have to become a modern baseball team for the playoffs and build a bullpen that is loaded with swing and miss stuff. Good point. And I think that is the route that they will have to come to the conclusion of, of, okay, Verhagen's that, Thompson's that, Gallegos is that, Helsley's that. Okay, that's four. We probably need more. And, and like and a long man who could give you a oh, I'm not, even, I'm not even talking about a long man because if you have a loaded bullpen, you can get three innings from a starter and just piece it all the way together throughout the playoffs. Like That's the route they're probably going to have to go because I don't think they can add a starter that's really going to load things up for them uh, in terms of adding swing and miss with the five guys that are locked into this rotation. All right, guys. <laughs> What just happened? I saw like first people of, smiling. T Bone just made a really it good was, point, and I'm a so really sorry. A really good point that I don't want to dismiss because what he just said is kind of a zig to everybody's zag. That's the 2011 route, right? Which is like, yeah. hey, we don't have the rotation to compete with the rest of you guys. Fine, you win there. We're gonna dominate you with our bullpen, though. So I don't want to just completely and dismiss what happened. Someone with like T-Bone. hit an awesome home run no. for the Cardinals. No, is that the polar so opposite. It was Tyler O'Neill 2.0. Oh, so who, who did that? Nolan Gorman just hit a bloop into shallow left field. Yeah, Austin Riley missed it. It was into the Bermuda Triangle where it's like Eddie Rosario's coming in, doesn't get there because he thinks Austin Riley is going to get it. The shortstop is also coming over Arcia, and it just falls in the middle of all three of them because Austin Riley appeared to lose it in the sun, and that's not out today. <laughs> it's the clouds, man. <laughs> Apparently. Damn. It's still be bright out there. It's foggy. So... Goldschmidt is running his ass off first to third and on a bloop rounds third <laughs> apparently was sent. I think we need to discuss Pop Warner and was thrown out by about 10 feet. <laughs> Tyler O'Neill's in the dugout right now going, 
Yeah. Wait, Call I, that was one he out. really at first base? Yeah, he went first to third on a bloop. But then he went home? Yeah. I think Pop Warner, unless Pop Warner just told Goldie, don't go, Pop Warner probably needs to get his eyes checked. Pop, what the hell happened? Yeah, G- Goldie was at first, and he rounded first. Was he rounded second? Rounded third? <laughs> ran his behind to home? So he wasn't dogging it. He was not talking in any way, helmet. shape, or form. I'm not totally sure what just happened in the Cardinals game. I I would say maybe we need to have a chat with Pop Warner Did, about the sins. After that, does Ollie walk down to Tyler O'Neill and say, hey, buddy, I'm sorry about this. This might be on Pop. <laughs> I I would... I wish they had a camera on Tyler O'Neill. <laughs> I, <laughs> that, I really yeah, wish somebody, they could do like... if. I'm not calling anybody out of Valley Sports Midwest. They should not do this. This is completely unpro- unprofessional what I'm about to say. Oh, I would totally have done They that. should have gone from Goldie getting thrown out at home to, and now let's see what Ollie Marmel has to say about that. And now let's see what Tyler O'Neill's face was. Tyler O'Neill, yeah. Just the deadpan. To- I wish Tyler O'Neill had sunglasses on, or had sunglasses on his head, and just dropped them down <laughs> like CSI Miami style. No, to, to Ice Cube, today. I- it was a good day. I just saw the play, guys. Pop's first reaction on this pop-up was like just admiring it like it was a bird. So I don't know how he went from admiring it to sending him home. That well, was amazing. Tyler O'Neill just got his uh, gratification. Somebody <laughs> He's said, good. Guys, Pop showed some great effort on that wheel send, though. <laughs> I uh, I don't even know what to say. This is amazing. So maybe the base running is a Somebody problem. Somebody said, is, is Ollie going to call out Goldie now? No, he, no, he, was, he <laughs> hey, was running hard. He wasn't dogging it. There is there is no question about the effort from Paul Goldschmidt uh, on that play. I can honestly, promise you that. Tyler O'Neill just messed up and not losing his helmet when he was running from second to third last, or second to home last night. It's five o'clock somewhere, right? NFL quick hitters are next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Quick hitters alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. By the way, our friend Katie Wu just tweeted this out. I think it's absolutely accurate. Shit, I'm going to be honest right now. I do not think that the Cardinals would pass a quality vibe check right now. What would be a quality vibe check? The vibes are definitely off. Did you hear, did you hear in the audio cut from in the dugout, or I think it was in the locker room with the O'Neill one? They were trying to play mellow music in the locker room, calm everybody down. Didn't work. Didn't work. No. Well. Did you know that the Cardinals were getting no hit prior to that Nolan Gorman bloop? Was that even considered a hit? <laughs> yeah. It, that wasn't an error? It, it was ruled a hit. It. it was ruled a hit. So. Well. Yeah. Things not going well for the Cardinals right now in the fifth. Well, at least it's not a, a lefty that they've never seen before. No, no. Going up against a righty today. Good. Back-to-back games, huh? They're going to come back. Here we go. Come back starting. No, they can't because they don't know how to run from third base yeah, to let, home. Let's go station to station. No. Station it's worth to station. Noting, big fundy, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know how many times that any player in the Cardinals lineup has faced Bryce Elder in his Zero. career? Zero. Zero. They've never faced him. Yeah, so, so the Cardinals stink against guys that they've never seen before. Took the Braves on the money line. We got that going for us. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Guys, there is some spicy rumors taking place in New England. 
you seen some of the reports coming out that, hey, the Patriots are at least open to the idea of trading Mac Jones? Getting O'Neal vibes in New England? Yeah, it sure he, feels that way. Is he dogging way. it? If you could see Mac Jones anywhere, who would you like to see trade for him? If he were to be traded uh, going into the NFL draft. Is there a spot that you think makes a lot of sense for him? Because I've got one in particular that immediately comes to mind. I'd like to hear yours because I don't have one. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, okay. They immediately come to mind because if you could replace it, Tom Brady in one spot, why not the other? God, Mac Jones just can't get away from Tom Brady. And in all seriousness, I mean, Mac Jones' playing style, he's not the same player as Tom Brady, but his playing style, not particularly mobile, gets the ball to where it needs to go on time with a lot of accuracy. It's not all that dissimilar from what you would expect from Tom Brady. And the Buccaneers do have some really good weapons as a as a just let's get the ball to our weapons when it needs to be there kind of thing. I think he could be okay for them. And I think the Bucs in that scenario could be like a nine and eight type of a team next year. Not a, a legit contender or anything, but he makes them better than Baker Mayfield. I, I don't disagree with that. The team that came to mind for me. Because it's kind of the same conversation. She's better than who we're thinking right now as their quarterback is Washington. Oh, I was thinking you were going to say Arizona. I, I I really I really like Washington's roster. They're just missing a quarterback. So them going with this whole Sam Howell experience of man, he's good. No, he's not. Well, I can tell you now, not a good quarterback. <laughs> and you guys would be better with a middle quarterback in Mac Jones. The team that I thought of was Houston. If the rumors are true that they're not going to take a quarterback in the first or with their second overall pick. Not to trade your second overall pick for Mac Jones, but maybe trade another pick for Mac Jones and draft something else with that second overall pick. I don't think Mac Jones is a guy that can help turn the Houston Texans around, but if you don't trust any of those quarterbacks, you can kill two birds with one stone by drafting somebody to help your team and get Mac Jones. Somebody brought up the idea of the 49ers trading for him, which is just juicy. Isn't Mac Jones and Brock Purdy the same person? Kind of, but Brock Purdy's hurt. He's got the UCL tear and whatnot. and. You remember going into that draft, everybody thought that the 49ers were going to take Mac Jones, and then it ended up being Trey Lance, and of course Ooh, that hasn't gone particularly well. That is spicy, well, right? Trey Lance and a Mac Jones What if you traded Trey Lance for Mac Jones? Now that would be interesting. Ooh, spicier. Actually, that's kind of fun for both sides. Uh, another team that would be kind of fun just because like it's a Patriots reunion out in Las Vegas would be the Raiders. I mean, Josh McDaniels just hired Danny Amendola as a wide Didn't receiver they just coach. Sign Jimmy G. Yeah. yeah what are you doing, man? It is a Patriots reunion in, in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy G's not good. Let's what be are you honest. talking about, man? He's I, not good. How many better? Super Bowls has Mac Jones been to? Who's better right now, Jimmy G or Mac Jones? I think I would take Jimmy G. I would take Jimmy G. The only thing you're taking with Mac Jones is, man, well, he's younger. Cool. Congrats. Yeah, but I think there's more upside in Mac Jones. Oh, my God. So that's the younger argument. No, it's a talent argument. (laughs) Let's continue with NFL quick hitters. The NFL draft has a whole lot of wide receivers that are like Tanner's height and they have tiny fast. Do they have tiny hands like Kenny Pickett? A lot of them are are relatively small and most of them are slot wide receivers. Except for my guy, Quentin Johnson. Gentleman by the name of Jackson Smith and Jigba. He is a former Ohio State wide receiver. He was the guy that two years ago, not this past season because he barely played, but two years ago, he ended up with more yards than Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson, both of whom were excellent in the NFL last year. So Brian Hartline, the former NFL wide receiver, is the wide receivers coach now at Ohio State. He went on to, onto a podcast recently, Bussin' with the Boys, and was asked to rank the wide receivers that he has coached. Here is how he ranked them. Number one, 
Marvin Harrison Jr., who is not yet NFL draft eligible, but I would trade all of my picks this year to be able to have the rights to Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, next year. He's going to be a stud. Number two, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Wow. Number three, Garrett Wilson. Number four, Terry McLaurin, who's been pretty good. Scary Number Terry. five, Chris Olave. When you hear Brian Hartline say this, does it make you more comfortable as a team to draft Jackson Smith and Jigba highly? Because his wide receivers coach is saying publicly, I think he's better than Wilson, McLaurin, or Olave. Yeah, but I mean, it's his wide receivers coach saying it. So, like, of course he's going to pump up a player that's eligible for this draft. So... The thing about it is like these smaller wide receivers, typically you look at it and you're like, well, they're not going to be successful. But like, look at all like Devontae Smith was incredible this year for Philadelphia. Jalen Waddell, um, Jamison Williams with the Detroit Lions when he played like that speed and, and smaller stature seems to be kind of a trend now. So I wouldn't be hesitant to draft him. I personally like that Quentin Johnson from TCU. He's big, but dude he, is massive. He did not run well the other day. Which is fine. You don't need to run well. You just need to be big and out-muscle somebody. But, no, I mean, I wouldn't be hesitant to draft him. I don't know if I'm sitting here like, oh, yeah, I'm going top 10 selection with this guy, but I wouldn't be hesitant. And to be fair to him, he's not like a shrimp. He's not 5'5 or anything out here. He's not T-Bone. Um, he's 6'1", 195 pounds. You are so a shrimp. He's like below average size for an NFL wide receiver. And most people believe that he will exclusively be in the slot. T-Bone? <laughs> he just Randy charactered you. I know. I wasn't cool, BK, man. T-Bone? No, T-Bone? Shrimp. Uh, I, I don't think my draft kind of like position where I would take him has really changed based on what the wide receiver coach said. Because I kind of agree with Alex. To me, it felt more like a, hey, yeah, the two guys I'm picking are guys that haven't played in the NFL yet over Terry McLaurin, who's a really good wide receiver. <laughs> it felt more like a... Uh, just a hype up of his guy to me. So I don't think it changed my opinion of him of like, oh yeah, now that his coach is saying that he's going to jump up five spots on my draft board. No, I, I think he's a really good player. I think he's going to have success because of the smaller trend we've talked about. Not my size, five eight by the way. Uh, but <laughs> I, I do think close to five five. I, I, I do think it doesn't really change the opinion of what you have on him. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll be joined by the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. He's not five five here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Did you forget it was BK and Ferrario? T-Bone, how'd you feel about your performance on that update? You know, I Great I think Ollie would call me out post-game. That Did was, you give good effort? No, you were totally dogging it before you even turned your mic on. It felt like good effort, but I think Ollie would disagree with that. You know, I, I think Ollie would call me out. I'd push back a little bit, and uh, you guys would have Grand Francis producing tomorrow's show. Did you feel like you were prepared for that moment? I would hope so, because I've got the score up on my phone. Well, that's even. I wouldn't have even said that one. The thing is, like, he had the six and the five in front of him. He just couldn't figure out which order they went. He's like, was it six runs and five innings, five runs and six innings? I, I don't know. Miles Michael is out of the game. I, He's I, not I, here. It doesn't I matter. It, and then I went, oh, crap. I said they're in the bottom of the six. There's no way he threw five innings then. Yeah. Well, you, you knew it was going through your head, and you, you could feel the gears grinding. But you're, right, buddy, right you're nowhere near right than uh, my best sports center update. Yeah. Well, Andy Dalton. Andy Slater. You'll always remember that, man. The 20 seconds of dead air. Right now, 
We are happy to be joined via the 101 ESPN hotline by Chris Kirby, the voice of the Blues. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Kirby. He was on the call last night for yet another St. Louis Blues victory. They've been racking up a bunch of those of late. Curbs, we appreciate the time, man. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. I, hey, I'm just sitting back here wondering if uh, giving the full effort uh, relates to pulling a pitcher that's dealing in the fifth inning of the playoff game. Curbs? I'm going to let that one slide because I disagree with what you're about to say, and we don't need to get into that right now. I mean, I think he was spot on. It's just not necessary. I don't know. I think think, listen, I actually, I'm fascinated by this across sports, guys. I really am because there's, there's, I love what Ali Marmol did because in yesterday, because he sent the message, right? Um, And then actually, John Mozeliak kind of back, and and, and, he should back his, his, his manager up, and he did today. Um, I love the challenge that it makes, uh, you know, for the rest of the team and the message that it sends. I'm curious in the end how it's all going to play out as, as you deal with such a young group of players over the course of a season. And it, it relates to what Craig Berube is dealing with a little bit this year to what he's going through. Uh, I'm fascinated with this coaching aspect uh, through all of sports. So I'm, I'm, it's really quite an intriguing comment to make so, uh, so adamantly so early in the season. Do you think that it's similar in any way to the comments that Craig Berube made earlier this year, where he said it, our, our best guys aren't giving enough? Is it does it remind you of that, Curbs? Because since then the Blues, I mean, have played pretty well. They've responded in a significant way. Uh, I, I think it, it it relates a little bit. I think when 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 Craig Berube was saying that he was talking about your best players need to bet your, be your best players, um, and and in this case maybe it was including a young guy or two, but. I frankly was, I, I kind of felt that when he said that, I kind of thought that he was leaning more towards some of the veteran leadership of the team at, at that point in time. And you always have the, the, the coaches, especially in today's world, dealing with today's athletes, when you talk to coaches and managers and general managers, it's fascinating the changes because the way you used to be able to say things, the way even a guy like Craig Berube, maybe as recently as his time in the minor leagues, might handle a, a head-to-head meeting with a player is, is different even now in terms of how players receive it, how do you have to talk to them, what they see. And, and one of the biggest differences that has come through is in the information age, you now have athletes that, have, that, are, that are reaching the pro level that have grown up with social media part of their entire lives, right? It, 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 it's been a fabric of their life. Uh, the access, the immediacy of information, the immediacy of – of, uh, of correction part of this as well. And so these athletes are used to it. They're used to seeing things on iPads, uh, quick replays, things like this. Put that all in there, and it's really changed how managers and coaches have to deal with players. And while you still have older players in locker rooms that, are, um, that still have some of those older school ways, and by the way, this doesn't mean old school is better, new school is worse. It's just a different school. Some still have those old school ways, Managers and coaches, assistant coaches especially, have got to adjust with the times and learn to work with and deal with today's athletes so they can do their job, and that's extract the best possible performance from them. Curves, one of those players, speaking of the younger guys, is Jake Neighbors, and I talked with Joey about this on postgame last night. He stuck out to me in the game, not because he was creating offense or he scored a goal or picked up an assist. It was more the physical play of him, and I told Joey, I said, he's starting to play like a pest, and that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Well, I actually, I'm fascinated almost in some respects to the comparison of Jake Neighbors and Jordan Cairo. 
some people are going to go, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, one yeah guy that, just, that's not that's my reaction. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, because one dude uh, has just hit 70 points in back-to-back seasons, right, and, and go forward. There is a responsibility on the ice defensively to Jayton Neighbors' game that Jordan Kyrou's game still has to develop. There's an offensive aspect to Jake Neighbors' game, and I don't know where that feeling is that he has to develop. The Jordan Cairo has kind of figured out pretty much to get to 70. So um, it's kind of like if I could take those two athletes and merge them together, you might have a superstar, right, that, that, that can do it both. So the things that Jake Neighbors is doing are some of those really safe, you know, smart plays you can put out maybe at the end of a period, end of a game, kind of like the way the uh, coach did with Torchenko yesterday, right? And, and those are things that earn trust. But the offensive side isn't there yet. And, and, and I do believe that it will come for Jake Neighbors over time. And, and is there a Shen-like player in Jake Neighbors? We'll wait and see. Jordan Kyrou is kind of the other way. He's got the other end of the spectrum and has to figure out the Jake Neighbors end of the spectrum and both being extremely young players. So I'm almost fascinated on the dynamic of the two because you're going to see Jordan. And I thought in the last couple of games with Jordan Kyrou, we really saw um, I, I thought we saw two very good games. I think he responded extraordinarily well. I mean, we talk about the Marmol thing with, with O'Neal. Let's think about Baruby and, and Kairu on the bench, right? And the difference was when afterwards they came out and he just said, now nah, we, we, we figured that out. We're just going to talk about the game. But I think Jordan's responded really well. I think Jake Neighbors has understood early on that for his role, which is not as offensive-minded as Jordan Kairu's, if he's going to play here – He's got to play the style of play you were just referring to, Alex, and he's buying into that. And then so his game will learn from that being the base. Jordan's will learn from the other side being the base. And and I think it's going to be fun to watch these two grow together. Curves, we'll be uh, listening to you tomorrow night as uh, we see Vladimir Tarasenko back at Enterprise Center. which should of that be, guy. Should be an interesting reception for sure. I, I think he's going to get a pretty loud ovation uh, by St. Louis Blues fans. It is one of the final games of the season at Enterprise Center. Just two more home dates for the Blues. We'll be listening to you right here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate you hopping on with us, man. Yeah, it'll be a great moment for Vladdy and the fans without a doubt. He, he's earned the respect that I think he's going to get tomorrow. So like you guys, I'm looking forward to it. Have an awesome rest of the day. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues. You'll hear him tomorrow night. Blues versus the Rangers right here on 101 ESPN starting at 7 o'clock. Alex will have pregame coverage for you beginning tomorrow at 6. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind. I want to compare T-Bone to another producer that struggled on the air earlier today. We'll do that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs.
Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. So earlier, if you missed it, T-Bone had quite the update. What he happened in it, T-Bone? He didn't know if it was five innings, six innings, five hits, five runs, six runs. There was a lot of fives and sixes that were related hey. to Miles Michaelis' start today. Dyslexia gets the best of us, buddy. T-Bone just wasn't sure how to put his finger on it. He's not the only one, though, that has had some moments with these Sports Center updates. These things are tricky, man. They're tough. Hell yeah, they are. You hear the music. You're like, oh, no, I have a million things going on back here. What was that thing that I was supposed to say? What's the latest update, especially in a live game where you're trying to update it, keep the people prepared on their toes? I liked how T-Bone got real, like, aggressive with it to start the show and he's like i'm gonna use audio here i'm gonna show michael gersh that i can do this and then we yeah. haven't heard audio since <laughs> i forgot about that yeah we haven't heard audio since yeah no that's it's only that one time though right? the way that it goes. On, yeah. oh okay good well, so, well tell me about it can't just be tanner that messes up right everybody goes through this so let's hear some classics to start uh, things off let's start with marshy you'll hear him coming up at about 2 30 he'll give his first sports center uh, update i'm sure it's wait. gonna be excellent it'll probably recap the cardinals from game from today uh, T-Bone, let's hear what Marshy had to say during his Sports Center update. Play the Calgary Flames tonight, pregame at 7, puck drop. Oh, that is, uh, yeah, no. No, tomorrow. They play tomorrow. <laughs> uh, no, they play today. What a day. It's Monday. What a day. Pregame tonight at 7 Where p.m. with Alex Ferrario. Puck drop at 8. <laughs> Where am I? He just stops. He's like, I'm done. Wait. That's enough. No, it's today. Tomorrow. Uh, the next one that we've got, I think this is a classic uh, that we've got from Jackson. This is going back in the uh, the archive. One of Jackson's best updates that he's done. This is Action Jackson with a Sports Center update driven by Johnny Wandoff, Chevrolet, and Autoplex. The Chiefs defeat the Bills last night in an overtime thriller, yeah. 42-36. The Chiefs will advance to play the Bengals in Kansas City. While on the other side, the Rams defeat the Buccaneers to take on... <laughs> 49ers. The 49ers. That was another Sports Center update. <laughs> How long did it take Tim to, to answer for him there? What was that? I'm guessing Tim was like, oh, he's, got it. It. he's got it. He's got it. Wow. You don't got it. <laughs> that felt like more than five seconds. So apparently, from what I understand, we, we're doing our show prep stuff while the balloon party's going so there are times where we, we just frankly can't listen to what's going mm-hmm. on i have not heard this so i can't speak to whether or not this is a good one a bad one somewhere in between but we have been told by the text line 3143999646 that jackson had another good one today here's what it sounded like on the balloon party they try to avoid the sweep today 1215 first pitch miles michaelis on the mound and the Wizards defeat. Oh, this is a this is a, this is a bad Sports Center update here. <laughs> that was another Sports Center update driven by. Jim. <laughs> you can tell immediately. He's, he says, "Oh no, this is." I don't old, know where I'm going. <laughs> this is a bad. You know what I liked about it, Jackson? Miles Michaelis on the mound. You're searching for today. the next thing. Yeah, you know like, where you're hey, going. You know what mm-hmm. I. uh 
I don't know what's next. He's like, go, he pulls up. I, I know what's happening here. He pulls up ESPN. He's like, what else should I yeah, put in here? I got to get a basketball <laughs> score in here because I'm the I'm the basketball he guy. ESPN.com. First thing that he sees on the top of the scoreboard is, Wizards. hey, the Wizards played last night. Oh, go ahead and give that score out. <laughs> oh, Maybe Brad Beal did something. St. Louis connection. Oh, wait, that's an old one. You know what? Let's just call it right here. That's a bad sports center update. We're going to wrap her up. Back to the balloon party. Somebody says, where's the Andy Dalton one? I, I'll be honest. I can't find it. I, I am so glad that has disappeared from the system. I don't um, know where it is. I'll, I'll try to find that for tomorrow. We know what date it took place. It was October of 2020. So uh, I'll go back through the then. archive and see if I can find it from then. Man, um, but unfortunately, a... right now, it's uh, it has been misplaced. You know, and I feel like we just picked on Jackson and Marshy there. Like, where's Rocchio's bad sports center updates? They Does don't this... exist. So this means he is perfect at them. Mm-hmm. Huh. Now, the only thing uh, Rocchio's bad at is the fight questions, apparently. Well, and is he gets yelled at for those like and literally is... every day and his sports takes. True, true. Basketball specifically. Like Jordan's not one of the top five greatest players ever. <laughs> okay, Rock. He's had some doozies. Let's try and roll. <laughs> that segment. That's what I'm saying. Every every day at 945, I, I make I, sure it's appointment listening for I me. I see T-Bone has got the, the green loading sticker. Are you searching for mine? I'm working on you it. You can't find it. I love it. it it's, it's been wiped clean from the system. I searched Alex update. <laughs> In our system, what? the entire system, and you know how long that takes. <laughs> T Bone's living it right now. I'm looking up Alex and Dalton. <laughs> oh God! Let me see if I can find. No, one we don't have to relive this, guys. Look, it was a, it was one of very few bad updates by your boy. It Mike was... Ryder even said that mine were the greatest. Oh, I've got it. I found it. All right, T Bone, I'm putting this in uh, the folder for today. Son of a... I think we got to go. The fast lane's coming up next. No, they don't mind. Two to they six understand. They understand. Two to six hey man, they got a counter program of Cardinals no. game. It's not going to be fun for them for the next. <laughs> what are you 30 talking minutes? about? The Cardinals are doing great right All now. All right, it's the Ferrario Andy Dalton update. Oh, this is gonna oh, be you got. So it's in today's Daily Show audio folder. Oh, this if is you're not familiar with this, if you weren't listening to Ribs and BK at the time, oh, this, this was is... when Alex was on the board. We were out at the Slough Golf Tournament. It was no BS. Thirty degrees outside, and BK's we were nose sitting. Was running. We were sitting in this area where i'll be totally honest there was no reason for us to be there we didn't talk to anybody from slu um it was the middle of the fall and it was the middle of covid we we're outside it was it was horrendous yeah, it was fun, though. terrible he, he, no he didn't he complained the entire commercial breaks i heard it it was awful um, my nose is running it's cold you guys know how i deal with cold jamie. whether it is the weather or the sickness meanwhile jamie's in a t-shirt and shorts like <laughs> shut the hell up so this is Alex's update that day, middle of football season. Here you go. Tonight, we have Monday Night Football. The Dallas Cowboys and Arizona Cardinals go head-to-head. And, or Andy Stalter. Stalter. Okay, hold on. Andy um I'm blanking on the name here, so I'll figure it out sooner or later. Uh, the... Cincinnati. Thank you, Andy Dalton. Jeez, that's embarrassing. Andy Dalton starting for the Cowboys pregame at 630. I'm done with this. What just happened? <laughs> I think uh, Anthony Stalter Anthony, is starting for the Cowboys so, tonight. So here's how it went through my head. It went Anthony Stalter, then Andy Slater, because that's, of course, what we call him in studio. And I'm thinking, okay, what's this guy's name? Wow. That was cringeworthy. That was cringeworthy. It gets better every time. That was really cringeworthy. I blame Mike Ryder because Mike Ryder and I made eye contact for a good 15 seconds while I was stumbling, and he's like, just not going to answer me. And then all of a sudden, he, he went snuck in my ear and said, Andy uh, Andy Dalton. I hope we're able to bring at least a smile to your face today because the Cardinal sure as hell ain't going to do it. The fast lane's coming up next. 
You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.